Hello. Before we get started today, I just wanted to let you know that there were a few minor audio issues on my end. It is nothing too major, and I have taken care of it for the most part. But just in case you notice something here and there, uh, forgive me, and uh, hopefully it does not hurt your listening experience. Alright, now that that's out of the way, enjoy the special. Hello, and welcome to Dark Souls 3 vs. Soulsborne, a podcast special where we take a look ahead at what we might expect from Dark Souls 3 by taking a look back at the previous Soulsborne titles. I'm your host, Sean Wagoner of The Lore Hunter, and joining me today from the Dark Inside podcast are Jeremy Greer, Hello, hello. Clifford Goldsmith, Hello! And Charles Turner. It's me. Thanks for joining me today, guys. No worries. No problems. I'm glad to be here. So getting started, the first thing I would like to cover is our spoiler policy. We will not be covering story or lore spoilers that may have been released for Dark Souls 3. I don't know inf- much information myself. I don't want to know the information. I am trying to go and start as possible there. However, we will be discussing the contents of the network test as a basis for discussing where Dark Souls 3 might be going based upon what we have seen so far of the mechanics and gameplay present in that test. So that will be covered here. So the first thing that I would like to cover is the world and level design that we saw in the network test and what we can gather from that. Um, A few points that I had to get the ball rolling is that there are shortcuts similar to Dark Souls 1 and Bloodborne throughout the level that cause it to loop back upon itself. Um, Similar to Dark Souls 2, there appears to be warping between bonfires available. And as far as the feel, I think it was a mixture of the Souls games in general with a dark fantasy gothic appearance similar to the other souls titles what do you guys think well yeah it definitely has the bloodborne kind of detail to the environment and scenery uh so it's it's not as sparse as the previous souls games so they're taking advantage of the the newer consoles um and yes i'd agree that the level design is is twisty turny um and does double back on itself just like um the best levels that we've come across in different souls games one thing that I noticed is that, um, especially coming out of the network test, is it seemed like people were saying it looks a lot like Bloodborne, just from a like a city standpoint. And um, I know, again, I know we're not doing spoilers, but I just want to say the stuff that I've seen kind of makes me feel a lot more confident about it not being just that. Like the the stuff that's leaked out there is really interesting. So I'm I'm really excited about the the way the world is coming to be. It looks it looks very much like a as like Dark Souls one variety of world design and level building. Yeah, exactly. Like. I've seen concerns about the Bloodborne thing. First part that sort of drives me nuts about it is that I it's it's uh, it's just it's using the same game engine, so you'll obviously see a little bit of similarities there. But another thing is that Rum and Miyazaki they definitely have an artistic style, and I think people are confusing just some similarities between all of their games on a more fundamental level with being similar to Bloodborne because maybe that's just the most recent title in their minds. But from what I could tell from 
the network test, it pulled from Demon Souls just as much, and that was the first game they made. So just some gothic elements alone don't make it Bloodborne in my mind. I agree. I completely agree. The boss design, uh, one note I did have is um, a little bit similar to Bloodborne, is it did have some phases in the fight, but uh, it wasn't it wasn't quite as phased as some of the Bloodborne bosses did, and it was more toward a, uh, a set piece where the environment, which I thought was a really cool thing, but the environment changed. So maybe that's a little bit of um, design evolution is that they might there might be more phased fights and they might have more set piece sort of fights but that's just speculation off the first boss i hope so i really enjoyed the uh the the way the bloodborne boss has changed over time i know i'm probably in the minority on that one um i know some people don't but i I really enjoyed that so i hope that they take that from bloodborne and and put that into a lot of the bosses in dark souls 3 well that's it dark souls 2 had a lot of phased bosses that would transition as you as you fought them Mm. Yeah, I, I, I hope they do. I, I agree with Jeremy on that. That I think the phases is good because it, it it keeps you on your toes and it it keeps the fight interesting. It stops it becoming a bit methodical, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on to gameplay and systems. Um, a couple points I had was that the parry, riposte, and backstabs felt similar to Dark Souls One. And um, there were charged attacks that were similar to what we saw in Bloodborne. And there was also a mana bar, which is uh, similar to Demon Souls. And um, <laughs> from this, we can see that Dark Souls 3 seems to be pulling from all the previous titles so far. So uh, do you guys have any additional comments about what I've said or other points regarding the combat? Well, the mana bar, I'm, I'm stoked to see that. I'm, I, to be honest, like, obviously, as you know, I've recently gone back finally got my hands on demon souls and i've got to say i really prefer the mana bar over the cast amount i yeah i prefer that system so i'm glad to see that that's that's come back to this one it, it's interesting the mana bar because i was i started the soul series right from the beginning uh demon souls was my first and when the when it went to the dark souls um spell count i, I remember hearing there's a few people upset by that but I guess because I was an old Dungeons & Dragons player as a kid with my brothers, it didn't bother me. I kind of liked that idea. Uh, so I'm kind of happy either way. Um, I th- if, it can, if it can be balanced correctly, I think it could be really good. And that they're using an Estus flask to restore mana, I think that's pretty cool. Um, and that could, could be a way to balance it. Because uh, mm. in, De- in Demon Souls, you could get pretty OP with your magic if you got enough old spice. Um, and <laughs> you just you never would run out. And so I kind of... I know. I think there's there's, there's it's two edged sword. It could be it can be really good, and it can be also too powerful um, if you can constantly replenish your your casts. I think the thing that it solves um, that I've always had a problem with with the Souls games is the concept of durability. Um, you know, special weapons having special attacks and that those attacks taking up durability, effectively limiting the amount of times you could use them, was kind of weird, and it kind of. It, it made a durability system required for all weapons and not just those weapons. But now, in theory, you could have a Moonlight Greatsword that does a projectile attack um, that only uses from your mana bar, so maybe there's no durability in the rest of the game? We, we don't really know that yet, but that, that would be my idea on solving that. Definitely a move sort of away from Bloodborne, where you can tell from a design standpoint they're going back to Estus and having so many charges, and now applying that to magic, it's like just a... Uh, I, I prefer the Dark Souls 1 system of it just the pacing compared to um, 
Demon Souls and Bloodborne, where you don't have to worry about long. Like I hated in Bloodborne and Demon Souls having to consider how much grass I have, how much spice, you know, blood vials. But Dark Souls makes it a tactical decision versus just this resource management. So I think that's a for me that's a really good um, sort of indication of taking it in that direction. Yeah, it's a combination mm. of both. And the interesting yeah. thing is there's still the counter that you have in, in Bloodborne being the, um, the Quicksilver bullets being replaced because there's a counter for your sword arts, isn't there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's got, a, it's got a combination of, as you mentioned already, Sean, there's a combination of all three games that we've seen, uh, or four games, sorry, um, the kind of, it's a, it's, it seems like a really good hybrid I just hope they can juggle all those balls in the air and it work properly in the final game. Yeah, and um, looking at it, it sort of is an interesting point that the uh, the version of humanity they have, the Ember, um, to me, it's it's sort of like the Demon Souls version with the uh, Stones of Ephemerai where when you're in human form or soul form, your health changed. But the interesting thing about what Dark Souls 3 looks to be doing is it's kind of a reversal sort of an empowerment aspect to it versus, like, making you feel weak. Like, I always took the 75% health in Demon Souls as my normal health, yep. but in this one, they're sort of starting you at 100, and so it takes away that uh, player, like, even if you knew it, like, I told myself 75%, but when push came to shove, you still felt like, you know, you were playing the harder version of this scenario. So in this one, it's, it's just interesting to me that they're sort of empowering the player, with the humanity equivalent, yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you there, but I think the only only real difference that it makes is with obviously Dark Souls three, they're not showing you that technical loss of health. So if you if you, if they did it in the same way as Demon Souls, so you had your seventy five percent health, but they didn't show you that extra bit of bar. Technically, you would kind of it, you'd have the same feel or effect as yeah. Dark Souls 3 if they didn't I think it's because you've got that visual representation of the loss of health on screen you're like oh I've, I'm missing that missive chunk of chunk of health whereas with this it's not there use your ember your health goes up that's technically your boosted health so yeah it's. I, I think I think the problem was a lot of people saw themselves as a bit gimped when they saw that massive chunk of health missing on their bar, they were just like, oh, that's a bit suck. But So I, I kind of like what they've done with this one, not showing it, but you can still get that boost from using the Ember. Yeah, it's really interesting. Mm. And then, um, so the last point about the uh, gameplay of the network test is the multiplayer, which is seems to be one where there's the most discussion online and sort of controversy. and like So you need the humanity equivalent to to summon and, uh, you needed to be the version of human in this game and then the big thing was that you could only be invaded when you had summoned somebody else which created a it, um there was never an even amount of pvp it would be a you know two the host and the summon or two versus an invader which um is is definitely a point of contention among some players yeah, I, I don't like that system. I think it was in there just because it was a network test and they wanted to test multiplayer. One thing yeah. I missed going from Dark Souls 1 to Dark Souls 2 was kind of that natural invasion that which could occur anywhere in the game. Uh, Dark Souls 2 had a lot of PvP, but it was it was a lot of it was condensed to zones and to areas or into arenas. Dark Souls 1 was a lot more natural with, you know, you could invade anywhere. You could invade from any bonfire and you were 
sometimes more likely to catch somebody in a specific area, but it it wasn't quite as it was more open than Dark Souls too. So I hope that this is not going to be the final product, but I'm also not like whining about it online either. So <laughs> I just I'm, I'm hopeful that it's not. Yeah, I'm not a PvP person, but Dark Souls 1, in my mind, just hands down had that the best, because if I'm just playing my game, I might not actively go out and engage in PvP, but it was, an, it was just like a baked-in feature of the game, and it was exciting when I would be invaded, even though I would probably die. In the other games, like uh, for Demon's Souls, not that I was really too worried about being invaded, but I would probably pop a stone of ephemeral eye right before going into a boss door. And it just, like, I kind of don't want the ability to game that. I just want it to be a part of the game that I have to be offline. Like, I just think, like, this is a move away from building atmosphere. I think what, you, what you're saying, Jeremy, is, like, Dark Souls 1, it was, like, it was probably really fun for invaders because they could do it basically whenever. And there was always a risk of taking humanity for the person doing it. So it was a tactical decision that helped make it part of the world anytime versus stuff like Bloodborne, I feel like they've been progressively moving away from this anytime PvP, which is kind of a bummer to me, even though I don't engage in it. Cliff, uh, Vader, did you guys do much to PvP in Dark Souls or Dark Souls 2? Uh, nope. More so in Dark Souls 1. Yeah. Um, I, spent, I spent a lot of time. Um, I spent hundreds of hours with Dark Souls 1. I had several multiple lots of builds <laughs> um and and so i would i would go through and i'd have like i had a dexterity um sunlight blade character then a dark moon character and then a sorcery character um all just dexterity and then i had a strength character so i'd, I'd spend a lot of time um in anolondo um dark anolondo invading people and being invaded. Did you have, um, I mean, did you, did you think the PVP was improved? Or like, I guess, not the PVP, but the, um, what are the words I'm looking for here, guys? <laughs> like, would, like the, the, the mechanics of the PVP, like the invading and summoning and stuff, or did you think they got, they were improved? Or are you kind of like me, where they, you think they've gotten worse as the series has gone on? It's, it's always, it has gone worse. Um, the, the actual gameplay is slightly better. Um, the fighting can be better in the PvP on Dark Souls 2, but yeah, it just didn't really, you didn't really get invaded that much, and it didn't really... Yeah, I... I, I like, it's kind of a mix. Yeah, Bloodborne, I've got to say, like, I've played, card nearly two, 250 hours in that, and I must have been invaded twice in the entire time playing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I've been invaded a couple of times in Bloodborne, um, and it was always over so quick. Hmm. But I'd expect, like, 200 hours play, I would expect it to have been invaded loads of times. So maybe they need to sort of, I don't know, hopefully they've uh, had a tweak on their systems and clean things up. Because I would, I would like to see more sort of running around, getting invaded a bit more. But it's, I think it's to do with the level systems and stuff, isn't it? They're, they're very sort of convoluted sometimes. But I've also heard somewhere that uh, Miyazaki's, that's the least favourite part of the game to him, is the PvP. Yeah. And so it's not his focus. And yeah, and I guess it was mo- I guess it was mostly in Bloodborne because if he didn't put it in, there'd been a huge outcry. <laughs> That's what it seems <laughs> like. Um, and so it's just there as a token. But Dark Souls Three, it does seem like there is more of a push towards it. Um, yeah, and it worked quite well in the network test. It worked better than it did with the Dark Souls Two network test. And so yeah, 
it looks like it could be good and it looks like yeah it did feel a lot more like the Dark Souls 1 because Dark Souls 2 you lost the ability you had to farm or collect or buy the invasion items so it was a lot harder to do anyway I don't think I actually ever really invaded anyone in Dark Souls 2 I ended up spending more time <laughs> being invaded or doing mm-hmm. the dragon was it the dragon eye yeah. to, to kind of get the covenant yeah, because the Dragonite was, was infinite, so you could just use it over and over again. You didn't have to go grind to get access to be able to invade people like you did with the Brotherhood of Blood. Well, yeah, the funny thing with Dark Souls 1 is I think I saw one Dragonite on the floor, like, because you got the Dragon <laughs> Covenant, and I was, like, sprinted. I was like, whoa, I've never seen this before. I went to click on it, and it was, like, gone. I was like, oh, dang it. So I never once managed to um, do the Dragon Covenant in the Dark Souls 1 game. So that's that's the thing. Dark Souls One had some cool ideas, but just never were fleshed out. It was just the core Dark Wraith invasions. Really, I've never once seen a Grave Lord invasion, um, things like that. But Dark Souls Two, the variety seemed to work better. But the main core invasion, the Red Phantom, just didn't seem to be that common because it was a, a resource, a consumable resource. All right, so we've touched on it briefly, but um, looking at the just atmosphere and aesthetic, um, you know, there's obviously not much to take from. You always, their, ga- their previous games are all known for having at least some level of variety, so you couldn't look at one area and say that's what the whole game's going to look like. But the area in the network test, to me, it, it was really really a mix. I uh, think there was a Baltarian vibe to it, not just because you're up on a wall, but because, uh, you know, it sort of had those gothic elements. It was dark fantasy, just like the other Souls games. And, um, you know, and then obviously with the Bloodborne engine, I think just the, the way that the world is brought onto your screen and the way you move around it has some slight vibes, but I would say it's pretty in line with the Souls games, so... Yeah, very much. Like, I totally agree with you there. Like, the the entire vibe and atmosphere is more to the Soul series with what I class, what I call Bloodborne clutter, <laughs> just sticking stuff everywhere. But I think the two marry very well, and I, I I I think it's it's a very very good looking game, and I'm really excited to see some of the other stuff that the areas, and I hope we get a nice sort of variety of different areas because I, I think they can they do really well with the atmosphere in this game I think yeah Bloodborne there is a lot of criticism for the clutter but to, for me I always felt feel that Bloodborne feels actually more like a city that's been lived in and there are yeah. people there and yes lot <laughs> they're all in coffins though yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um, but in like Dark Souls 1 and 2 and even in Demon Souls, and it keeps implying the games imply that this is still an area people live in and, and people are existing in. And yes, it is not a very good existence, but you never really see or feel that. Like, well, that's how yeah. I felt. It 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 just seems like it, it does seem more like a game that you're going through, and that's it. Kind of breaks the immersion a little bit. Whereas the yeah, so if they can pull the demon, the Bloodborne kind of lived in feel, and create this this world. Uh, yeah that's what I'm keen for I mean I think that's what they're doing there's a bit more um, life to the enemies they're moving around more Um, the AI AI is a bit more like it's more clever (laughs) which wasn't a cleverer way of saying it but um, yeah that's I don't know if that made any sense that was my two cents (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm with you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, I'll I kind of lost my steam there a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Okay, so now that we've looked at the network test, we've got hints about what Dark Souls 3 might be like, and it's telling us, like, Fromo has always liked callbacks. They've always liked referencing their games and working within this sort of world, and just based on the network test from a design standpoint, gameplay atmosphere, it has DNA from all those games. So with that in mind, and moving into the real meat of the discussion, we're first going to take a, a look back at the series and uh, sort of hopping, continuing the discussion about world design, just um, speaking more about the previous games, like what elements of the world design do you want to see in the broader world of Dark Souls 3 when it comes to interconnected worlds, warping? Um, so what what are your guys' thoughts on um, where you'd like to see Dark Souls 3 end up on a larger scale for the world design? Uh, can I can I go first? Yeah, far away. I want another I want another sense fortress. <laughs> like <laughs> I <clears throat> I want an area that is um is very vertical in, in scale, like or in, in scope, I guess, um, that you're climbing up or you're climbing down, um, but it has is full of shortcuts that you find, and that kind of loops back around on itself several times. That's like through the process of going through the level and of conquering it, you end up knowing it so well, like the back of your hand. But at the same time, maybe there's some weird shortcuts that you didn't quite find. So like you know the main path and you know how to get through it, but like there's still some places in sins. Like there's some ladders and stuff. Like getting up to the top where you can kill the giants and things like that. That's still kind of weird. And I I really really enjoy that. I hope they bring back areas like that. That I mean interconnected to internet. Excuse me. Interconnectivity is one thing, but having discrete levels like that that kind of like I said loop back and forth on themselves. That's that's my jam. I love that. Yeah, see, when I go through Sin's Fortress now, I just know exactly how to get through it the quickest. I've completely forgotten what else is in there. I know what items I need, and the rest I just have no, I've forgotten what they are. But I, I think there's like a sorcerer's outfit. Just don't bother. Just like, I don't need it. I just straight through, take on the Iron Golem, and done. But yes, it is a very cool level design, and it was very punishing the first time through. Yeah, one thing I've uh, that that they actually confirmed recently. I don't know if it was uh, this week or last, maybe, but there's they've confirmed uh, bonfire warping, which it which is I, I do like that in itself. But they also said at the same time that you can go sort of from one towel to the other, like you could be say like Dark Souls and stuff. So you have that choice whether you want to move on through or you can just move around via via your bonfires, which is, which is good because it's easier to do it than but I think uh, I think Jeremy said that there's also going to be a hub area as well which is cool so they're kind of it seems like they're going to be combining a lot of the mechanics from all the games into into the in, into one which is really good because they've all got flaws and good things so if they can get the, the best bits of everything and, and sandwich it all together I'll, yeah it's good yeah, I think I think Bloodborne really came very close to being exactly what I would want, where there's a hub that you can access, but and it's an interconnected world that you can still travel to. I mm. think they had the spacing 
of lanterns down, so it was still a challenge. It wasn't too far, it wasn't too close together. Um, so I think Bloodborne had it right, and they got so close, except I don't know why you could warp between lanterns in Bloodborne. It like yeah. going, back, going back to the hub. It's it was I remember in the lead up to Bloodborne there was this there was this same discussion about you know would there be warping would it be an interconnected world and we were getting the same feedback and there was a discussion like oh people thought that you could you'd have to go back to the hub to travel to another lantern and I said that's ridiculous it doesn't even make sense <laughs> <laughs> and then lo and behold Bloodborne comes out and for some reason that's the design they went with and I really. I think Bloodborne has almost perfect. If if Dark Souls three lets you warp between bonfires and you don't have to go back to the hub, I think that'll be exactly what I want. Do you yeah. do you think? It's, sorry, go on. I was just going to say with the Dark Souls two and the warping, I I found it a bit of a two edged sword um, because you would it was easy to miss things because there were things that would happen and events that would happen behind you, and so warping I I kind of. I like the warping because it saves time if you know where you want to go. But at the same time, that exploration of the of Dark Souls One is kind of what made it a magical area to play in because you would discover you'd, you'd be running along and you'd be like going down this path you've gone through five times and you'd be like, oh, you weren't there before, <laughs> or like an mm. NPC would appear, and you. Can, I, I found that you'd miss that. Um, I know a lot of people um, struggled getting into um, Huntsman's co- Corpse, Corpse. Cops, how do you say it? Cops, um, yeah. Because they missed that the the NPC appeared down there, and I know there is the the little lantern that uh, the light that lights up, but it's a real simple trigger that took a lot, a lot of people a lot of time to find, um, <laughs> because they weren't walking back through areas because they were warping. So I don't know. Warping is handy and saves time, but I think it also can take away some of the exploration and enjoyment of finding stuff. Well, I think the I think the main difference there in between Dark Souls One and Dark Souls Two is just the pure amount of bonfires. Like, I mean, I don't, I haven't counted or anything, yeah. but it seems like there's dramatically more bonfires in Dark Souls Two than there is yeah, Dark Souls right. One. And so it's more linear to, as well. Yeah. Uh, so to me, you solve that issue. You solve that issue of warping. Kind of takes the the exploration side out of it, but just by having less places to warp to, just by having less bonfires, because hopefully yep. you're wrapping your world around. So like it's uh it's one of those things where you're taking little bits from every single game that they've made so far and then putting it all together. Yeah, I'd agree, yes. Yep. Sorry Clifford, I interrupted you earlier. What were you gonna say? Can't remember. <laughs> you'll come to learn I have a memory because you, you you just said so much stuff now I honestly cannot remember what I was going to say <laughs> I, 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 I think he was just, I think he was just more along he was actually close to what Jeremy was going to say actually I think it was about basically obviously the amount of bonfires makes that key and also Dark Souls 1 you still had your warp in but the game said to you right we want you to do this now you can warp because you need to be moving around a lot but up until this point we want you to explore the areas and get deep into them and i think that was actually quite a good good mechanic and a good way to do it i liked it and and remember Mm -hmm. up until the dlc you could only warp to bonfires that had fire keepers at them 
which I always thought was was a really cool lore thing. And then the DLC came out and they just let you warp to a bunch of them just for convenience sake. Which is as a as a guy who literally made the run from Firelink to Andre like a thousand times. Thank God they Hmm. added that as a bonfire. (laughs) Kind of took away the. There's something really elegant about the way the mechanics were tied into that, tied into the lore. And yeah, I was sad to see that Mm. go. Yeah, I've seen it lamented that there would be warping available from the start and that it takes away that sense of challenge or tension that's established in Dark Souls 1 by being out in the world and not being able to just retreat back. But I think that appropriately sparse bonfires, such as in Bloodborne, provided a similar level of tension where you couldn't just escape the situation because you still had to get through it, but... In that sense, the world and the shortcuts need to provide a means of traversal, not the not the bonfires. The bonfires need to be that thing that rewards you at the end, that it's that important thing you return to. That's why I think shortcuts as main traversal are important for that. With uh, Clifford's playthrough of Demon Souls, mm-hmm. he, you, you commented on how there is no shortcuts, and mm-hmm. I like the spacing of the arch. But it's not like you would have said, oh, I want more arch stones. You know, you just like, I think when it comes down to it, it's like a really thoughtfully designed world. We'll build that tension regardless of if you have warping or not. Because there was plenty of times in Bloodborne, my first playthrough, when I finally got to that lantern, I really wanted that lantern. You know, and it feels like a little bit of a reprieve to be able to go back to this nice hub and have this nice music playing. But I just never... I've never felt that it takes away the tension as much as it helps just make the game a little bit more fun to play. Mm. Well, that you, you actually mentioning that actually that's one thing that I hope they bring back into their world design because they're they've kind of uh, they're quite good at shortcuts now, and I hope they don't go back <laughs> go back on themselves because uh, yeah those those long runs like because I like the idea of obviously you need to get through. A tough section and you, you struggle through struggle through until you get to a certain point and then you can open up a shortcut which then bypasses that that section that you struggle through but demon souls was yeah it was it was a bit of a bit of a shit <laughs> it was like you struggle like through that area get to the boss if you die they're like nah you got to struggle through all that again we ain't giving you no shortcut it was supremely unforgiving in that sense and yeah, that those shortcuts are definitely uh, something I look out for all the time, and I, I the, it's, it's nice. Uh, so I hope that I hope they make a return because I think they had it really right in Bloodborne. I thought the short, shortcut system in Bloodborne was pretty much spot on for me because they they were quite long sections, but then the shortcut would be just uh, just so nice to find one once you finally get there. You're just like ah. It's just the weight's lifted because you finally made it through and you've got that little shortcut there. Yeah, like, is, like, I was trying to think, is there ever a reason that any of you can think of why you wouldn't want a shortcut that would make it quick to get to the boss? Without, like, I've never thought it benefited a boss run to have a bunch of crap in the way. Nope. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't, I don't, you're, <laughs> I don't, I agree, I agree totally. Um, like, the, <laughs> Probably the the worst boss run for me out of all four games is the um, Sir Alone fight in the Dark Souls Two DLC, the Iron King. And um, I mean, there's there's probably like 
25 really tough enemies between you and that boss fight and it's hmm. really just super annoying like it's just a, it's a grind and the boss is really hard on top of that um and that that to me is just not not cool like i would much rather like a shortcut i don't want a bonfire at a fog gate i don't want that but yeah. I, I like a shortcut that gets me past most of it like a, like a something secret that i can move and then there's a staircase or whatever it is like just give me a way to bypass a lot of that so i can just kind of run to the boss gate yeah, yeah. What I yeah, what I really want is if they can somehow set it up so that you go around the whole level. But really, the boss is like always pretty close to that bonfire, that original bonfire. Mm. Just open up a few gates, just because uh, I was thinking back to Bloodborne and when you're running up to a uh, one that was really hard for me, and I think most people, uh, Vicar Amelia, and uh, I actually it became hilarious because uh, Bloodborne kind of has this problem, and I don't think Dark Souls Three will have it quite as. Much. But you can run past enemies easily enough, but it breaks your immersion of the game. It's like, and at, at a certain point, it became comical to me that I was running past those pale face scream mask guys, and they would just all point at me as I ran past them. <laughs> <laughs> just provide that shortcut so that you're always thinking about what's going on and just trying to get back in the fight as fast as possible. I don't see any benefit to not providing that shortcut to a boss. Welcome to the Shortcut Podcast, everybody. <laughs> hey, yeah. Okay, so moving on to something we've talked up to, but we haven't gone through the fog gate yet. Um, how do you guys feel about bosses from the previous games? There's Demon Souls, where you have your gimmick bosses, such as the Tower Knight, where you have the archers, and then there's the... Um, Careful now, I don't think Cliff's finished the game. Uh, I, I don't care about spoilers, never have. <laughs> okay. Alright, I won't say anything, but I'll say that. So, Demon Souls has their gimmick bosses where they become much easier by knowing something about mm. the boss. And then with Dark Souls, you have some gimmicks, but you have a lot of guys of varying sizes who are more tests of skill. And then moving towards Bloodborne in Dark Souls 2, there's been a move towards more phased boss fights. So how do you guys feel about these different ideas and what would you like to see in Dark Souls 3? I, I, I would probably like to see something along the lines of maybe gimmick slash phased. So sort of like you could have three sort of phases and each one has a, a different maybe gimmick, but which you have to obviously work out. So it's like a kind of game of game of chess really trying to work out each phase and working your way around it i think that'd be quite interesting yeah, you know they did something like that in dark souls one dlc where um you kind of have to figure out how to kill um calamite like you have to meet certain requirements mm. and then go talk to um the giant archer uh golf you have to go talk Goff, to golf yeah. so he'll sh- so he can shoot the dragon down for you i'd love to see stuff like that except you take more of an active role like if, let's say you're fighting a dragon like that you have to go you have to figure out what you can do to get it grounded first before you can attack it and, and things like that i do like the dark souls too like you've got the lost sinner the, although speaking of run up to bosses earlier that was a pain that run up it was just long. <laughs> stupid elevator but um i like the the, the idea of lighting the room and that how that if you if you take the time to explore earlier the level, that affected the boss fight, um, because you're able to light the room and make it a lot easier. I, I like those kind of ideas. Um, I I do think they've gotten better with the uh, gimmick fights though. Like you know if you yes. look at Demon Souls, um, I mean you look at the Dragon God. That's a, that's a, that's a puzzle slash a gimmick fight, and 
That's uh, it's, God, that was so boring. Exactly. Yeah, like once you God. figure out the thing, you figured out the thing, and you're just kind of going through the, the motions of knocking it out. And then mm. if you look at Dark Souls 1, we got the um, – oh, my God, where is my memory today, guys? The uh, – <gasps> Lost Isolith boss, the bed of chaos, oh, who chaos, yeah. kind of Pretty kind of much. becomes the same thing, which is not very good, and it's kind of widely acknowledged that that's an unfinished fight, an unfinished level. But then jump into Dark Souls two, where you have something like the chariot, and I thought the chariot was a really good example of a puzzle slash gimmick boss that was done yep. very very well. Mm. Like that, yeah. the run up to it is kind of rough, but once you get in there, like you have to deal with mobs, you have to manage your space, you have to. Figure out, like, there's two things, two levels of things you have to figure out with the necromancers and then the switch. And then you think that you're going to be fighting the guy riding the, the chariot, right? Like, when you hit that <laughs> switch and then it, they, they flip it on it for you. And I thought that was very, very cool. I hope to see more stuff like that. Like, I think that's mm. really, really neat. Yeah, I, also, I definitely don't want to see bosses that favor too heavily one play style or one, one kind of character build. Because um, that's the, speaking about the Tower Knight and Demon Souls, when I first fought him, because Dark Demon Souls is a very new, new type of game. It was a real surprise, and you get this massive knife, and you're like, how the heck am I supposed to fight this guy? So I actually I killed all the archers, and then I actually sat back with a, a with a bow, and I killed him with a bow and arrow. Like, the whole fight just took ages, and that's how I killed him my first time. And it wasn't until <laughs> much later on, like a several playthroughs later, that I realized that he had weak ankles. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and then... And so last time I killed him was just with a dagger. Because you just run in, damage his ankles, knock down, and kill his head. Um, and so I kind of like that he was still beatable in another way. And that you didn't have to um, he didn't have to do the gimmick way. You still could do it another way. And it was because I was scared. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so I like that bosses can have multiple ways of beating them. Um, you spent, mentioned that the chariot boss... Um, there's multiple ways you can beat beat him in Dark Souls 2 as well, and I really like that. Um, yeah, I want more of that. More options in, in the boss fight so you can tackle bosses in your own way, and I don't want them to be forced down like, this boss is a magic boss, you have to kill him with magic, or, or this boss is a combat boss. I want variety. What about you, Sean? You, you haven't answered yet. I recently played Demon Souls, and... It was interesting to notice, like, at least for me, playing a magic build and playing a royal, that, like, the bosses are pretty easy. I, like, um, on the whole, if you, you know, it's a gimmick thing. So, I, I think I, I agree with what's been said, where I think the chariot is actually, you know, as much as Dark Souls 2 gets its crap, I think the chariot is actually a really good example of a boss. I would definitely like to see that level of, like, different ways to beat it, you know, and just sort of that puzzle element to be incorporated because it's not obvious necessarily, but you can do it multiple ways. So I think, I think I would like to see more gimmicks that aren't reliant on build. I, um, I like phased bosses sometimes in Bloodborne, but as someone like, I, I, I wouldn't consider myself a pro at getting used to like three move sets. And so usually they don't change dramatically between phases, but, um, I think more gimmicks, and then um, I would like to see another iteration of more phased boss fights, but don't go too crazy on the phasing. Like, I know in uh, in Bonfireside Chat, they sort of talked about, at a certain point, you're just not going to be able to remember every iteration of their moves. I think the Orphan of Cause is a good example of, like, who the hell knows what 
Phase 3 does, because you get there, and then, you know, if you get there, you feel like you have to, like, it's just, it's an uphill battle the entire way. So I, I think the phasing, I would prefer to see more gimmick than phased bosses, I guess, is sort of my preference. I guess what we're like, all kind of agreeing, but I think what we definitely can agree on is that we don't want them to overdo any one style of boss. Like, we don't want all bosses to be phased, and we don't want all bosses to be gimmick. If it's, We want a variety of, of what we've seen. Um, yeah, and um, I'm, I'm curious to know... Uh, like I think I think something that uh, a criticism and it goes to Dark Souls too that I think gets levied with a lot of unfair criticism, but um, uh, there's a lot of bosses with multiple enemies. I'm just curious to see. Uh, like uh, I personally, I don't really like multiple enemies in a boss fight. Like sort of the more one-on-one fights. I think the mechanics of these games really shines. I don't mind them if they're just not too over the top. Um, the Dark Souls 2 first DLC, the Gank Squad boss, was a bit ridiculous. Um, to do it by yourself, you kind of just had to run around. It was like a Charlie Chapman chase scene. Um, <laughs> and it just, I just ran around in circles for like 20 minutes. It was ridiculous. But in general, I do like the challenge. Like, I really like the Shadow Shadows of Yarnum. That's what they're called, right? Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I really like that fight. That Just that... Because spacing is really important in Bloodborne, and it kind of takes that to the next next level, where you're kind of got to worry about three people spacing, and you're like, and it's interesting to hear how other people deal with it. Some people go for the magic user first, whereas I was always take the the aggressive katana wielding guy out first. Um, so I yeah, I'm not too. I do like uh, group fights, but not when they're overdone. I don't think crowd control has ever been a real strength of the series, but you know, besides polling enemies, which is not really a thing you can do in a boss fight. No. Oh, see, I love that fight when you land a visceral on the one guy and you just watch the other two guys' attacks just go straight past you. <laughs> like, because you timed it just right and you're avoiding three hits just because you landed that visceral at the right time. And I, yeah, I love that stuff, the risk reward. Yeah, or if you get it when they're like both right next to you, you go bang and it staggers both and they both fall over. That's great. <laughs> so yeah, you can <laughs> choose the double, one you the want double to pair. Take <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, see, that's my problem. I was sitting there swinging the axe around, so I guess it helped if all three of them got close, but yeah, that's uh... I I did actually have more trouble with the axe on those boss when I went through another second playthrough with the axe. Uh, I did find it much harder. Spin the whim. It makes that boss well easy. <laughs> Get them close in, just keep... Dog. Done. problem with that is then all their health goes down at once, so all of a sudden you have three flaming shadows coming at you, and then it's just... Something like, stinks, yeah. I was quite surprised, actually. Like the first, My first playthrough, I've done those dudes first go, and then like consecutive playthroughs, I've, I kind of struggled with them, and then when I played for again, my first go... So I kind of like it's on and off with them guys. I think it just depends on what day I'm fighting them on. Well, it depends what the AI does as well because it's these yeah. three guys you're contending with. They can do some mm. random stuff sometimes. But but that's that, that's a good thing, like about uh, bosses in these games. You never know how it's gonna. It never really goes the same a lot of the time in Bloodborne. In Bloodborne, I find especially those boss fights can go multiple ways all the time 
And so a, uh, a final point I wanted to make, and really this is just me taking an opportunity to uh, hammer home a point that I'm going to keep bringing up until somebody at From or anywhere listens, but I really want to see Demon Souls music uh, in yeah. the game. <laughs> like, I love the organs and the trumpets, and my wife really hates the opening song because I play it every time I start the game. So good. I I know they're going to go with the the chorus and the orchestra, and um, I I'm not hating on the the chanting and the orchestra, but I just really love the the sound in Demon Souls mm. with the trumpets and the organ, and I just I don't want to see that just live in Demon Souls. I want to see it elsewhere. You're right though. I, I think I think the the, the chorus is. It's a bit generic nowadays because we hear it in so many OSTs. It'd be nice to hear, like they, they, me and Jeremy, we, we were talking about this not too long ago about how I, I've fallen in love with the Demon Soul soundtrack as well because it it does stand out because it has its own feel. And you hear those ones, you go, "That's Demon Souls." Whereas a lot of other tracks, you can go, mm, "I'm not too sure" because they're just orchestral pieces, you know. And a lot of them can sound very similar. They sound fantastic, but the soundtrack for Demon Souls really stands out to me. And it has its own... It, it belongs to itself, you know? Agreed. You're not, you're not going to get any argument here, because I, I love the Demon Souls soundtrack. Mm. and I, I have I have my faves out of the Dark Souls and, and the Bloodborns of the world, but uh, Demon Souls is one you can always go back to and just go like, What? <laughs> where, where, where did this? Where, it sounds otherworldly. Like it just doesn't sound like anything you you've ever heard before, which I really really dig. Well, yeah, it's like um, one of the ones that really stood out for me that uh, the Adjudicator soundtrack. That, oh that, yes, that track so good. is so strange. It's just like no, this sounds like alien music, but it's just you know it when you hear it. You're like, yeah, that's that that track. And I think more more video games need more themes and pieces that you recognize and can associate with certain bits of the games rather than orchestral scores i think have you gotten to the end of uh, valley of defilement yet clifford not yet no okay just just yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's all i'm gonna say that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) i've dipped my toe in now i've done obviously i've done the first section yeah, I'm not, and I didn't enjoy that, so I'm not looking forward to the rest of it, really. Damn the plague and poison. <laughs> Alright, so uh, moving on to gameplay and systems. And um, so in some ways, the Soulsborne games have remained the same since Demon Souls on a foundational level with how they act, but there have been changes with the games most dramatically in Bloodborne, but there there have been differences in, in some of the moment-to-moment combat, so um, maybe speaking more specifically than we previously have, where would you guys like to see Dark Souls 3 pull from? Cool. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, as far as combat goes, I think... What was shown in the network test was pretty quick, and I think it got some flack for being a little too much like Bloodborne. I don't think it was anywhere near as fast as Bloodborne, and um, and we've seen some stuff to make it seem like it's going to be a pretty healthy mix of Dark Souls One to Bloodborne. Um, my my issue when it comes to the combat system is with Dark Souls Two. Um, it in Dark Souls Two for whatever reason the animations just feel really really light. 
Like if you're using a giant sword, it seems like they're just like swinging a piece of styrofoam around. And that's <laughs> in Dark Souls One. It seemed like like when you slammed the Zweihander down, like you slammed it to the ground, like it was like mm. it was done. Um, and that's I want to I want to see that. And it kind of felt like that from the network test. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think. Uh, go. On. No, you go. You'll forget. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, <laughs> no, I was just going to say, for, sort of, from what I've seen, like you, you mentioned about, obviously, a lot of people are saying about the speed of um, the uh, network test compared to Bloodborne. I, I think that's, and I think you, you've even noted it here about um, to do with uh, weight as well, weight of gear, basically, mm-hmm. because of that was absolutely just not in at all in the network test so we don't know how many sort of stages of weight we're going to get will we get three we might get four and there might be different levels of weight and percentage to go with your playstyle so if you run around in your pants you might be as fast as Bloodborne but obviously put a little bit of gear on you get heavier I I think there's going to be more there than definitely what they gave in the network test for sure Oh yeah, definitely. Because um, yeah, we were, we were locked out of the menus, weren't we? And the network test. And so yeah, we don't know how the stats work. Um, I actually had trouble. A- actually, if you uh, we, we if you if you want to be a spoiler guy, you, you know exactly how the stats are working. <laughs> <laughs> you can go look it up right now if you really want to. <laughs> yeah, no, <we're>, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that you. Warning. I already know. I was like, yeah. oh, picture. I must look at it. <laughs> I just went and looked. I was like, oh, look at them. Lovely. <laughs> The warning Sean gave at the beginning was more directed towards uh, Jeremy than it was to the listeners. <laughs> Keep those well, either out. way, I ducked my head under the radar there. I'm just as bad as Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I'm not alone here. <laughs> Cliff has been watching everything just like I have. Yeah, he keeps it to himself, though. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is, I, jumping in the network test or Dark Souls 3, I had a little trouble with the combat to start off with. And I think it's because it, it kind of felt almost like Bloodborne, and I was trying to play like Bloodborne. But... Mm. Shield was important um, more so than it was, and well, Bloodborne doesn't really have shields. Um, and so, yeah, it, it took me a while to reset myself and go, hold on, this is a different game. I need to treat it as a different game. And so, I think it does feel a bit more like it almost feels a little bit like Demon Souls with the, its kind of light, its kind of ability to, and yeah, it's kind of a, it's a big hybrid. Like everything we've talked about, everything's been a hybrid um, so far. Yeah, exactly. I, I um, I agree. It's- I so play, playing Demon Souls recently. I can definitely see just because I think for me I, I like that people will say the Bloodborne, but the speed for Bloodborne isn't there, like Jeremy said. But what I like is honestly, like every time I bounce back to Dark Souls two after playing any of the other games, it's just like when you roll. I think it's the I think a big part of it is like how much stamina and how many iframes you get and. Uh, I just, for some reason, because of, I think Dark Souls 2, it costs the most stamina to roll, or maybe you have the least stamina to start, and then those iframes, it always just drives me nuts bouncing back to that. So I I liked that feeling that, like in Demon Souls, you can skirt around quite a bit and roll around and sort of, you know, like play kind of dodgy, because pretty much if you're not using a shield, that's how you're going to do it. And having played through Bloodborne, I've sort of broken... Like I don't, I just don't naturally go back to the shields, and especially as you play the games. I think a lot of players sort of drop the shield as they play more, and so 
I I like it being a bit nippier and just because I, I, it just felt like after Bloodborne, I really sort of grew an appreciation for heavier weapons. But in playing through Dark Souls two right now, I don't I don't like like um, Jeremy said the they don't feel heavy. And then um, I can't remember the I think this is specific to two, but uh, or maybe it was an option or something. But I can't even really use heavy weapons in two because. I always hit the stick, and I end up swinging in the other direction. Mm, nice. It wasn't a thing for me, like in Bloodborne. I, I loved using Ludwigs and then the axe as like heavier weapons. So, yeah, Dark Souls Two, you could control where the um, the big slam down or the great weapons happened, but it yeah. also was painful if you did touch the, st- the analog stick and you completely missed, even though you're t- uh, locked on. <laughs> yeah, swing forward, accidentally knock it, and you end up swinging it behind your head. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was tragic uh, when before Scholar of the First Sin playing the vanilla version of Dark Souls Two. I remember when I learned you could get the Demon's Great Hammer from the Crows. I started characters over and over again, uh, taking the petrified something to try to get it. I must have made like fifty characters <laughs> to do it. <laughs> so when I recently started playing Scholar of the First Sin, I was deciding between if I should go a strength or a magic build, and uh, I decided on a magic build, and I I just always take the petrified something as the gift, so I did that as usual, and I went to the crows, and uh, I lo and behold, I got a demon's great hammer, and I was like, I have to take this hammer because I love this weapon. <laughs> But I I got through No Man's Wharf and I actually ended up respecking, uh, just because I I can't I can't stand how when you move the stick it'll move the weapon. It's just not something that works for how I play. And uh, I, I I can't hold it completely against Dark Souls Two because I I wasn't really specced properly and I just put all my <laughs> points in the strength. So when you're running around naked, you know you're obviously going to have a harder time with the game but it was really those deaths from just swinging it the wrong way that it, it didn't feel like it was my fault completely so with dark souls 3 i just want to cast my spells and swing my giant sword and that's what i really want yeah for sure um the thing that i've noticed with playing through the series is demon souls rolling is very important whereas i found in dark souls the shield is very powerful like it, it's mm. really good at blocking so Demon Souls is a rolly game. Dark Souls, to me, yes, you do roll, but the shield is quite important. Because Dark Souls 2, it's kind of... I found my armor was more important. I would just... I didn't use a shield at all in Dark Souls 2, my first playthrough. I just went around just wearing hits and just trading hits. Um, and then Bloodborne is just... It's more about getting in first. And so they all have their own strengths. Um, and that's where I think I struggle with the the debate... The, the beta for the net, or the network test for Dark Souls Three is that I was trying to get in first, where it's a bit slowed down, and you have to you have to wait. You got to wait your turn <laughs> to attack almost. Um, yeah, but the weapons did feel good in the network test. They did. So I think I think they're on the right track. <laughs> so this this next point that I have here, and um, the challenge of putting this together was I was trying to. Uh, appeal to everyone by talking about the previous games as a basis for what we know so i wanted to talk about where we might want to see the stats go but apparently that's already known. <laughs> <laughs> so uh 
So it's it's tough because I I don't want Jeremy to not talk because he knows the stats. <laughs> Cliff <laughs> knows these answers well, too. Jeremy well. and Cliff. <laughs> Just Jeremy's Jeremy. getting so picked on. I I I know these answers as well. See, I I, I pick up all these spoilers and I just hide in the corner. Go hee hee. <laughs> yeah, no, I I know the stats as well. <laughs> I I would like to. Uh... Just throw out there that when it comes to having a lot of stats, like Dark Souls 2, where I think there was too many and they did a few things that I didn't like, but I didn't hate that. And then there's Bloodborne, where the stats, while they matter, they're pretty much just things to get weapons. Very simplified. Um, For myself, I think just going back to sort of what Dark Souls 1 had, I think Dark Souls 1 did it fine. I think Demon's Souls was mostly fine. Demon's Souls may have even had a... I don't know, like, I had luck, which was... I, n- I don't even know what that did. But, um... So, right. think, so, for me, Dark Souls 1 is pretty much... I think that was fine for stats. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't simple. Some people would say it's complicated, but it's... I think, as far as these games go, it it struck the right balance. I like I like Dark Souls 1 stats as well. Um, mm. I, think, I think Bloodborne stats are a little too simplified, and um, some of the stuff with Dark Souls 2, I'd I liked like I liked the fact that they made uh, pyromancy um, based on stats. I liked the fact that they had like extracted values. In other words, you would control your stats to give yourself a fire bonus or a dark bonus or a sorcery bonus or what, I don't remember what sorcery was, but it, you could control your like it had extrapolated stats. I, I kind of dug some of that. I just thought they were a little too many. Like I didn't like the fact that they divided up vitality and. Um, Vigor, so like vitality, all of a sudden was how much you can carry, and vigor was how much HP you had. Like that made no sense to me whatsoever. Did not dig that. Yeah. Um, and you also like had the other stat as well, didn't you? That um, if you could up it, the adaptability, you could get like more iframes and stuff as well, couldn't you? So yeah, adaptability like, would give you more mm. agility. Which you know, and that, mm. I thought something that was neat there is if you were a sorcerer, um, you were already upgrading attunement. Attunement would give you agility as well. Like I liked some mm. of the like you could get to the same place using different stats. I, I like that. I just didn't like to have. I didn't like that there were so many. And then Bloodborne went completely the opposite direction. The opposite, where there's only yeah. like four main stats that you really are worried about to, to be able to customize your character. Um, one thing about, I, I actually kind of like the, <clears throat> you know, Dark Souls had a, a wasted stat with resistance, and a lot of people would call Demon Souls luck a wasted stat, but y- resistance you could actually do some interesting stuff with, and luck had a whole build based around it. Like, there's a sword in the game that you can get where, like, it was scaled off luck. Like, that was that was kind of the whole point of it, which was probably one of the most powerful swords in the game. So I, I want to see more weirdness when it comes to stats. I don't necessarily want it to be clear. I want there to be stuff to find, in other words. Like, I want there to be hidden interactions between these things, not necessarily more or less. So that's what I'll say. Mm. But I may be wrong, but what it seemed like in the network test is that um, Esther's Flask could have been tied to stats with your... But I, I, I may be wrong, and you got you and Clifford... Jeremy and Clifford can laugh at me if you know because <laughs> you know the answer. But um, it did seem that way because the different classes. But again, they were pre-built characters to for people to try. But um, it did seem with the different number of the Ash Flask and the Estus Flask, the numbers vary depending on, depending on the class what, you chose. What, yeah, what the, the way that worked in the network test was basically dependent on whether you were obviously magic user. Yep. Uh, melee user some had more obviously Ash Estus but uh, I think they had stronger standard Estus or the other way around no they had more Ash weaker 
Estes, but the heavy users, their normal Estes would be stronger compared to the Ash Estes, so it kind of balanced it out, whereas because obviously you need more health being a melee, so because you're right in there, so yeah, Estes was stronger. Yeah. I don't know whether that was, as you say, not too sure whether that's tied to like your strength, endurance, da 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 but there was definitely a difference there, yeah. I would like that actually to be tied to stats. I don't know if it will be, um, but I, I did like that idea if that's potentially the case because, yeah, it would change your build. You could scale your stats to the amount of healing you need or you think you need, and you pl- you have to play off that. Uh, and so if you put too much in, then your other stats are going to be weaker. And I like that kind of uh, alternative choice that you have. But who knows if they're going to do it or not. <laughs> Jeremy does. <laughs> <laughs> so having a wide variety of builds isn't isn't something that's super important to me like um but it is to a lot of people who play these games so i think that for the stats i think their main role should be to help facilitate as many builds as possible uh, as we were speaking about earlier i think that having having stats that branch out and can help facilitate multiple builds is important and um so i so i want to see that and i think it will not really reflect bloodborne where in many ways the the stats were somewhat unnecessary because there were so few of them that and there's not many ways provided to play the game so they weren't important but i think for as a dark souls game in following the other souls titles i think this is going to be a huge point for the game and will be really important for the replayability of the game for a lot of people because um i know not everybody will just play through with a handful of weapons like i might through it but um even even i after coming off of bloodborne would like to see a greater variety and it's not just having more weapons but it's having interesting ways to use those weapons and i think that all comes down to having the stats help facilitate that so working hand in hand with the weapons so yeah basically i think the stats need to serve the role of helping to provide the most interesting and meaningful choices for builds possible. But I think uh, people have been very vocal about this point already, and From has stated this is a priority, so I don't think this will be a problem. Yeah, I I think that's good doing that, though, because also the amount of uh, stats and builds that you can do also ties back into replayability really and the more builds you can do the more viable and a more longer a game's going to last which is which is good so i i can see them digging right into the sort of the, the builds because they that people love love builds we we love trying different builds and this and that and that's why we've all got about a million characters on our start screens so um Moving on, it's a short point because I don't think there's going to be much to say, but uh, it was interesting to me playing Demon Souls that the economy of Demon Souls was really whacked out. <laughs> Some guys would give you 20 and then the bosses would always give you a good amount. And I kind of liked that the bosses were these like punctuation points where you could really like level up and do stuff. But all the other games have pretty much 
have it so it's pretty balanced i think you play through the level you can level up a few levels you beat the boss you can level up a few more but i'm just curious to see what you guys thought as far as like um the the economy of souls and just uh their usage in my mind um i like i like what you said sean where the bosses are a punctuation mark where like you're kind of working through the level and your reward for finishing that level is a lot of souls um but at the same time i think that it can be really demoralizing going through demon souls um especially when you're (laughs) When, 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 you're, yeah. when you, yeah, exactly. I knew I, knew I was going to get a chime in from Cliff um, <laughs> because you don't you don't get a lot of souls. So, and it's, especially because of the way the economy works in there, you're having to buy your healing like you do in Bloodborne. It can be really frustrating, feeling like you're making zero progress. So, it, again, I'm kind of have a bias towards Dark Souls One. If you can't tell it, but I feel like Dark Souls One really gives that balance really, really mm. well. Dark Souls Two seems to just just vomit souls all over you all the time. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you were just getting souls constantly. And that's probably because they have more stats that you need to level up to make your character more effective. So they give you more souls to do that. But man, it's, I mean, you could just get so many and like, it seems like you can just buy everything. So I, mm-hmm. it, I guess in my mind, dark souls one did it best because dark souls one is the greatest game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got, got to say, I agree. I think dark souls one had the amount of souls you receive two sort of stats that you had to level I think they had that balance just right in Dark Souls 1 definitely I agree with that yes yeah, so Demon Souls is a bit of a weird one like it starts off as you mentioned you get almost no souls but then you get to like um, the, I was the other spot playing this morning I re-downloaded it and started playing because Clifford's been playing I just got too excited um, and I went through one of my other saves and it's in um, 5 no not 5 Three, two. What's the storm? The, sh- the shrine of storms. Four, four. four. Uh, I'm terrible with the number. Everyone always names the numbers, and I'm like, I need names. I can't. Do- I never can remember <laughs> the numbers. Um, yeah, I always like that at the start. <laughs> I still, but yeah, four, two, and it's just ridiculous how many souls you can get. Ugh, like, that place is like Soul Valley. I, I, I basically I went in there and I just did a little bit of farming, and I'm now like Soul Level fifty seven just from that area. Yeah, and Loved so it's. It. Demon Souls seems really inconsistent, um, mm. and they've learned a few things. But at the same time, you level. I think from memory, it takes less to level up per like per level. Like it's you get less uh, souls, but I, w- I would say yes at the start. But then it starts it getting starts ramping. It up. does start yeah. skyrocketing pretty harshly. You kind of you hit a certain level. I think it's like soul level 25 26 and then the the amount of souls it takes per level starts skyrocketing pretty quickly. Yeah. And yeah. I'm pretty sure Dark Souls 1 was patched, wasn't it, to, to adjust the Souls reward? It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah cause, so it's one of those um, things, it's hard, they, they never seem to get perfect on the first release, and it needs to be tweaked once users get their hands on it. Yeah, I, I, I agree that I think, um, I, I like a balance, and uh, sort of branching off of this is, I think it's what you're spending stuff on. Um, like I said before, like for Demon Souls and Bloodborne, um, when you have a consumable healing item, and in Bloodborne where it was a double whammy, where you would have a consumable like, uh, you know, visceral that that always led me to a lot of my souls or blood into buying items just because I'm paranoid of running out of those items. I don't know why. I think as far as the economy goes, I I like you get souls to level up, to upgrade weapons. And consumables are there, but it's just another path. And uh, that's why I think for Dark Souls 2, it had everything. It had consumables for healing. 
It had a bunch of stats. And I think it just, when you're getting all those souls, they have less meaning. And then, like you said, in Demon Souls, I think they, I think 4 is an example, the Shrine of Storms is an example of how they sort of realize that they may have not had that completely right. Because that game's very disempowering when you're doing bad. You know, like, it kind of sucks to, like, struggle so hard and then decide to go back to the hub to just take a break, and then you can get one level off of all that effort. <laughs> then bringing Estus back, I think that just creates the right balance in the game, is you only need souls for a few things, and like that's your only spending item. Going a little bit to some uh, insight for Bloodborne, I don't really like how they implemented insight. I liked it more as a way to... Uh, reveal content. And I think they sort of recognize that because when you have these two purchasing items, it's like all of a sudden insight, it's like you're trying to get rid of insight to because of winter lanterns, but then you're just spending it on crap you don't want. And I think in these games, and Bloodborne and Dark Souls 2 have both kind of not done the best at it in my mind, where you're just buying stuff and you just feel like this over... Like, I think having a certain... Like, having to, like, sort of scrimp and save in Dark Souls 1 and then you level up and you can't buy tons of stuff is the way to go because having an abundance of stuff takes away that feeling of tension, I think. Or it increases it when you can't purchase all that stuff. Uh, I definitely agree. Like, it was a bit of a pain having the two two separate economies, definitely. I think they should have just implemented, say, insight. You, you get your insight and then, obviously, the more insight you got, the more clearer stuff became. And that was that you couldn't buy stuff with it that was just how the game implemented the more things you see the more stuff becomes clear and that should have just been left at that I think I think you shouldn't have had been able to buy stuff and I yeah just, just keep a, a one a one strict economy it, it just makes things simpler mm-hmm. yeah I, I do like the idea of buying maybe rarer stuff with it but just consumables I agree it's a bit silly I like the idea that there was specific armors and stuff that you could only get through the insight store mm. um but i just realized as you guys were talking how much this sounds like um a free-to-play game like a, a ipad game with the multiple currencies like every free-to-play game has like two currencies and just glad it's not with konami or <laughs> capcom would have had uh, microtransactions for insight that's the first topic that we agree that Dark Souls 1 did it right, and it's not just we want a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sort of continuing from that is a weapon and armor upgrades. So Demon Souls, for weapon and armor upgrades, there, there weren't armor upgrades, and there was tons of different stones, and it was very confusing. Dark Souls 1 is, is a lot better, but it also is, uh, in my mind, a little confusing. Dark Souls 2 really simplified how you would upgrade your weapons, and then Bloodborne just kind of had its own thing going on with the uh, gems, so I'm curious to see, uh, I think it might be, a, you know, I think this is one where there's probably some differing opinions about which which one of the systems from the four previous titles you prefer. Um, I think, um, I think... Dark Souls 2 got it right as far as weapons go. Because I really liked having a straight upgrade path of plus 1 through plus 10. And then being able to change the 
I guess the enchantment or being able to imbue that weapon at yes. plus 10 or plus whatever it is with different things to take advantage of my stats. Um, and this is going to get into something we talk about in a little bit with uh, being able to respec, but being able to basically carry a plus 10 weapon through me, whether I, I'm a sorcerer or whether I'm a big strength build or whatever, I thought that was really cool. Um, I don't, I really, I'm not going to say I don't like, I really prefer Bloodborne's way of handling armor upgrades in which there are none. I don't. I've never. <laughs> I've never liked wasting upgrade materials on armor because there's usually so much, and they've already said there's going to be a ton in Dark Souls Three. There's usually so much that I feel kind of trapped into wearing specific gear. So what happens is I just don't ever upgrade anything because I want to be, you know, fashion souls is way more important to me than actually you know defense values or anything like that. So, but I, I know there's a there's I know. Bloodborne armor scales with your level, and I saw there is a certain cases you could argue that like certain armor is better against certain enemies, but in the, primarily it's just you know wear what you want to look cool. That I really really want to see in Dark Souls Three. I don't want to be, I don't have to worry about plus five in a certain helmet or a certain gear and PVPs to give myself like a two percent advantage. I don't, I just don't even want that to exist. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I did find in Dark Souls 2, I never really bothered with any of the elementals. I agree it, it works well, and I like that idea, but I just didn't bother. Like, I just always just went around with a plus 10 standard and went with normal scaling. Um, so I don't know if that's just me or if just it, what the scaling wasn't implemented correctly, because I just found it never gave you enough of an advantage to take an elemental path. Uh, so I kind of like Bloodborne's kind of method. You upgrade the weapon, but then you also can tweak it with gems I, I kind of wouldn't mind seeing that but maybe with a bit of a Dark Souls 1 upgrade path I don't know yeah I've got to say I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the Bloodborne route of things whereas you, you was levelling up the weapons then you had also the gems to to, to to make that even more powered and adjust it to how you want whether you wanted to make it sort of fire arcane lightning arcane or straight strength and I, I, I quite I, I yeah I like the Bloodborne way of things and people think I'm mad because of it but there you go I like the gems in theory I think they could use another iteration of doing you know being a little more interesting yeah they definitely need to if they keep the gem kind of idea in they need to make the gems more interesting there weren't enough variety of different ones it was all just the same thing over and over again and you, once you've got the best three you're never going to use any others um yeah, so they needed the, yeah, a bit more variety in that. Um, but I definitely don't want it to go your Western RPG route, where it's just these hundreds of these little gems. Like, the Witch is great, and it's a lot of fun, but just you get these little stone things you put on your weapons, and it's like 2% upgrade. It's, like, it's not worth it. I can't be bothered. <laughs> um, and you only have, like, two slots on each weapon. It's, yeah, I just... Yeah, I think definitely... I think we want a hybrid. I think um, upgrade and then, yeah some creativity in the gym side well, or, 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 or you could just go the crazy disguise route and just every weapon have a dungeon attached to the weapon and you go <laughs> like a whole game in itself attached to oh the god <laughs> I can <laughs> I can hear the bonfire side chat boys just blowing up right now going like what is that somebody said something horrible about Dark Souls 3 <laughs> they, they could tie that in with the chalice dungeons so each weapon had a chalice dungeon exactly yeah that's what I was uh, saying done yeah. Oh, they'd love it. Okay. Got a winner. <laughs> I think the Souls game work when they provide... They don't provide tons of variety, but they provide meaningful variety. And I, I would like to see the weapons and armor generally like... 
I don't think when, when they market, oh, there's going to be 100 weapons or 100 sets of armor, I get kind of excited for the fashion souls aspect, but I also know that I'm probably never going to touch the bulk of that. And one thing that I think I'll be curious to see how they dial it in is, like, more is not always better, you know? Like, so I think especially when it comes to upgrade routes and stuff like that, I, in builds even, like, I think it always comes back to having sort of choices making sure they're meaningful and not having them start to be like, like you said, with the gems, I don't want upgrades. I don't want whatever dark souls three has for upgrades to be like, if they even implemented something like gems to be like a 3% boost. I think just straight up damage boosts are uninteresting. And I think if I think maybe rings fill what I'm looking for in dark souls, but I kind of want it on the weapons too, just because the weapon is so important to how you play these games. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they actually come up with. Mm. See, that's the thing. It's hard to sort of talk about what what's coming because we we have not really any idea on the weapon side of things because there's not mm. even even on the spoiler front, there's not really been uh, <laughs> much about the weapons and stuff. So that's still we're still kind of in the dark of what to expect on the weapons front. But it's it, it'll be quite interesting. But as you say, I, I think that kind of thing it always comes that the rings definitely is what they that they play into and then they haven't really deviated too much when it comes to weapons it just how you upgrade it and they'll either go full crazy demon souls have a million different routes or they'll just go straight sort of like dark souls 2 nice and easy so, something i want i want to say that's my big complaint and I've played a lot of the Souls games at the, to this point, and my biggest complaint is that at some point you get to a certain point in the game and you just cannot find resources, or you have to grind for upgrade materials. And I think that is the absolute worst. Um, mm-hmm. If if you're in New Game Plus, there is no reason they should be gating you at upgrade materials. If you're in New Game, if you're in your first game, I totally understand. Like, I, I get it. Like, you want the game to be a challenge. By the time I get to New Game Plus, let me buy the damn upgrade materials. <laughs> like, let me buy the chunks or the rocks or the whatever you want to call it. Like, I, there's no there is no point to taking that away from the player. Like, I want to use as much stuff as possible, and you have set up the game so that I have to have an upgraded weapon to be able to use those weapons effectively. Give me the stuff to upgrade them. That it just infuriates me in Bloodborne. Like, it's so hard to upgrade weapons. Like, if, even after they allowed you to buy chunks, they're so in- incredibly expensive. Like, it's it's yeah, hardly it's even worth it. Yeah. Oh, but, so, you, yeah. But, you, but you can buy rocks. They're only 60 insight. Yeah, 60 insight. I mean, that's... And that's not... <laughs> at least you can do it. I've never had 60 insight, ever. <laughs> Seriously, I've never had 60 insight. I swear to God. Um... Th- and I could uh, I could rant on Bloodborne's problem with rewarding the player and player choice. That's a whole different mm. podcast special. But <laughs> what, like, with the upgrade weapons, you're right. It is a bit um, restricted in Bloodborne. But the good thing of Bloodborne is that in New Game Plus, you keep all your all the shop items. Because I did like how they did the shop items. I did like those little uh, medallion things you'd collect um, in player progression, and I do like that you keep those in New Game Plus. And so they're they're on the right track. It's just they need to take that a step further to upgrade your weapons as well. Yeah, I, I think like as you said, Jeremy, I think it's just the point because it's a game of such variety. But yet they go right. You've got to pick a weapon, and that's pretty much the only one you're going to be able to upgrade, which is stupid. 
because there's so much variety in builds and stuff you should be allowed to experiment with weapons as well they should at least give you five maybe six to be able to get to high-end maximum level do you know what i mean without having to grind for 30 hours to get a bloody bit of rock or whatever but it would be nice to be able to try a few different weapons at maximum level so yeah. maybe they'll bring that in but i can't see it because they haven't done it yet so <laughs> <laughs> microtransactions on the way <laughs> i was talking to uh somebody i pay they, for it <laughs> i was talking to somebody and they 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 mentioned of taking they proposed the idea of taking away upgrades from weapons. So instead of upgrading a weapon, you would upgrade a your capability, I guess. So that by the end of the game, you had the ability to carry three plus ten weapons. And you could only change those weapons at your home base, whether that's Firelink Shrine or Majula or the Dream or whatever. So it doesn't matter what weapon you get. You can always slot it in and have a plus ten weapon instantly. But you've worked throughout the game to be able to carry one plus ten weapon or one plus ten weapon and one plus seven weapon or, or what have you. But you slot the weapon into the upgrade path, not not vice versa. And I think that's kind of a cool idea. That, yeah, that's that's quite interesting. So you can work up the path like so. You say right you, at the moment you can hold a plus three weapon. Now you can hold two plus four weapons and work your way up. I kind of like the idea of that that's quite cool. Yeah, that is a cool idea. And then you could play with that and add in the um, the gem system, so you can actually tweak those weapons mm. a bit further. Absolutely, yeah. And you could tweak you could you could tweak the slots, not the weapons. So it's not like you're you don't feel like you're wasting material. Like I could put any weapon into that slot that I've got tricked out for plus twenty percent fire damage or what have you, or whatever that whatever that configuration is. And that's the cool thing about the gems, though, is that you can just pull them in and off in Bloodborne. Like, it's not like it's a wasted resource or you've consumed it. You can yeah. just tweak them. Um, just assume that I'm going to spend the next 45 minutes talking about how terrible the gem system is in Bloodborne. Like, I won't do it, but just assume there's 45 minutes of podcasts that we cut out. <laughs> <laughs> so we've we've talked about we've talked about PvP previously. What one? one point sort of remaining on that is uh i and it's it's not really a mechanic previously seen but i did like in the network test that you could that you got like half your natural estus flasks when you entered into i believe it's co-op or pvp and i just sort of um i liked i kind of like the idea of separating what you do when you go into someone else's world from what you have going on in your like PVE in your in your game, so uh, it's it's not really going back to previous games. But one thing I didn't like doing in in Bloodborne and stuff is I don't like when you lose items when you're trying to co-op. I don't I never understood in Bloodborne why I wouldn't have my blood vials pulled, my extra blood vials pulled when I came back into my world. I like where they're going with the idea that you sort of are always top game when you go into co-op or pvp just curious to see what you guys thought about that yeah the frustrating thing about bloodborne is that it gives you that when you co-op in the chalice dungeons when you respawn they give you everything back it's only when you do co-op in the actual game world that they don't give it to you and i i completely agree i I think the idea of killing an invader giving the host more estus flask whether it's the blue or the yellow is is a great idea like that's that that to me inspires more pvp like if you're if you've got a guy that's almost at the fog gate and an invader spawns and he's low on estus 
he might choose to fight you now, whereas before he may have chosen just to go through the fog gate and not fight you. So as a guy who loves to invade, that that gives me hope that the multiplayer is going to be a lot more active. If you if you go in as a white phantom and help someone and you're successful, does it replenish your Estus fast back in your game? And I want test? to. S- I want to say it didn't, but I also think that it was kind of buggy. Like it sometimes would and sometimes wouldn't. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to end up in the final game. I always liked that as a feature, and I remember doing that a few times. Dark Souls <clears throat> Two. I'd get to a boss at the end of a level. I'd be low on Estus flasks, and I'd be like, "Well, I'll just put down my sign. I'll go help someone, and if we're successful, then I don't have to bother going back into the bonfire, and I'm all replenished for ready for the boss." And so I'd use that as a way to replenish myself before I'd go into the boss myself mm. so I, I do like that so i hope that is in there yeah i would i would do the same thing and i like that i i i want the i i want successfully call someone to restore your estus flask in your game so you can sort of do that because i it encourages co-op but then i also want the estus flask when you're co-oping or invading to be yeah just a totally separate system and to yep. always same amount so that you it, it leads back to i think i think these games work really well when there's not tons of loading screens and you don't have to go back so it's sort of up to you and if you're brave enough to continue on yeah i always find it i always found it frustrating in other souls games you put your sign down and you just start running around and mucking around and you forget it's down and then you'd end up having low estus and you'd get summoned in and then you're just absolutely useless because you can't heal uh, you're just a liability to the person you're playing with I think we've covered multiplayer pretty well, and uh, obviously that's a huge topic for Dark Souls 3. What unique systems from other titles might you like to see in Dark Souls 3, such as uh, there's the Bonfire Aesthetics in Dark Souls 2, there's World Tendency in Demon Souls, there's Respec items in Dark Souls 2, there's Vagrants in Dark Souls 1. Do you want to see a return of any of those unique systems? Um, I'll, I'll jump in and say... Um you mentioned vagrants and i don't necessarily want vagrants back but i want stuff like vagrants i want weird almost useless multiplayer systems that are based <laughs> on the community that are just strange like it wasn't till it wasn't till last year right that illusory wall and his his group of guys that help him out like figured out exactly how the vagrants work and spawn and things like that like that's 4 years after the game is released i want really <laughs> really weird stuff I mentioned this with the stats as well. Like that's the that was the coolest thing about Dark Souls to me. Dark Souls one was just finding all this weirdness, and I, that's what I want back. Like multiplayer systems that don't make any sense until somebody sits down for five hours to try to figure everything out. Like that's that's my jam. I want that. Yeah, I agree. Like the Demon Souls, those are the colors colorless demons that would appear. I like that mm-hmm. stuff, and I like the events that were created from World Tendency. But World Tendency in general was a dick. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I, it, it was a great idea. I just, and I, th- I understand why they've completely dropped it because people just would kill themselves in the Nexus, and they just never played the game as a as a human. Um, yeah, I found that funny though. Like you saying that, but because I'm playing online, my will tendency moves around a lot. Well, that's the thing, and then it's affected by that. That would actually drive me mental when I was playing. You'd, you'd get it to white. And then yep. you would reload, and it would go just off white. You're like, yep. that was the last boss. I can't. Cops non-existent yep. at the moment because no one, not a people it's, playing. Yeah, it's driving me mental. Uh, I've given up on the whole tendency thing now because because I was online. And it's just moved all over the place. That I, I, it's a good idea, but I don't think it was implemented very well when I 
wouldn't like to see something like that. But to be honest, I mean, <sighs> I, but I like the events that happen because of the tendency, because of the yeah. world changing. I really like that, and we've missed those things. Like I remember uh, Demon Souls; they had Halloween specials where they just they overrode the world tendency for everybody and made it black, and so you could go <laughs> do things you otherwise couldn't because it was Halloween. And I think they did the same for like Valentine's Day once, where it was all white. That's pretty cool. And I would like to see more kind of events like that happening in the game, that they would actually push things in that happened on set days or, or times. And World Tenancy allowed that. And so I would like to see that have come back in, but I don't want it to be as painful and control how you play the game. Because I play Demon's Souls a set way, so I can control the tenancy now. And that means I'm always in spirit form. And I think that took away from the game a little bit. World Tendency was a complete mystery to me. Like, <laughs> it's the list of everybody. <laughs> I think it encouraged play that wasn't interesting. Like, I killed myself in the Nexus once because I heard that's a thing people do, and I didn't want my tendency to go black. So I did that once, and then I, I just kind of was a little bit more loose with it. But I, I missed a lot of content, which I, I like opt-in content, but I don't think they gave you enough control. I think the Bonfire Aesthetics, they do something that tendency that people like about tendency, which is giving you control over what the world's like and the difficulty of it. So I would be interested to see a further iteration of the aesthetics and maybe, maybe instead of just putting you into a new game, maybe there's more aesthetics that do stuff and change the world, you know, like maybe there's like a dark, you know, like a, a dark ember, I don't know, you know, some whatever embery darkness name they want to give it that would like do similar things to tendency but would be more in control control yeah yeah that, that'd be cool because i as i say i like the result of tenant tendency like i really like that events happen like you get the dark events and you get the light events it's just yeah i need yeah you need to have control over it a bit better and getting white now it might be a bit better because i think from memory white is killing bosses and or successfully helping others like white is that right or killing black phantoms there was like a couple of things but it was always really hard to get pure white a lot easier to get pure black you just kill yourself mm. and so it needs to be a bit more even if they do do something like that but yeah aesthetics were cool um, and I like that in Dark Souls 2 the world changed slightly in your second playthrough and yeah. that you mm -hmm. got new things I would like to see that have more like still be present mm, yeah I, I like the uh, new game plus changes so you come into new game plus and a lot of stuff's changed like you get little bits and bobs i i quite like that it, it gives you sort of uh, a reason to go through again as well rather than just being badass <laughs> yeah I, i'd like to see that taken a little step further like a little bit mm. more um i'd love for more lore to come out in your second playthrough yeah and like it did in Dark Souls 2 with those with the second souls that you were attaining um, if they can do that further yeah I, I agree that was one of my bigger disappointments with Bloodborne after playing Dark Souls 2 so uh, something from Bloodborne that I think would be a cool thing a cool system would be more items with stat scaling I, I, I thought that idea was really cool because I liked the idea like you know Dark Souls 1 has like Pyromancy, which is the opposite. It's a way of fighting that doesn't rely on stats. But I like the idea of having items that are much more effective. And I think Bloodborne did that pretty well. 
But I haven't done a, an arcane sort of playthrough. I didn't notice a huge boost. But I, I think it'd be really cool if there was, cons- like, if a build you could make was using consumable items and having that be something that was actually interesting. Yeah, that would be cool. Like a trinkets character where you'd, you'd use things and that would be more effective. I'm into yeah. that. I like that. <clears throat> if you had asked me, I would have told you firebomb scale off off of stats in Dark Souls 2, but it, apparently they don't. So <laughs> I learned something new today. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they may have scaled off the fire bonus, but I, I, thinking back at it right now, I'd probably not. So. The firebomb scaled off uh, in Bloodborne, scaled off your arcane, didn't they? Arcane, yeah. Or was it, or was <clears> it but arcane I'd, or blood tinge? It was arcane. Arcane. Arcane, yeah. Yeah, so I'd like to see that. Like, and even if you had, it'd be really cool taking that even further. That a certain stats would change how certain items worked, so it would like get an extra bonus to like its area effect or something, like a firebomb. <laughs> like, it'd have more splash damage. That'd be cool. So, moving into our last section, we'll be talking about story and lore. And again, we're not talking about story or lore spoilers. So none of that will be covered, but um, at this point we're kind of throwing away Demon Souls and Bloodborne, and we're talking about Dark Souls one and two, and we have listener responses for this that we will read, answering the question: What story or lore threads would you like to see addressed or concluded in Dark Souls three? I'll start off by reading uh, the Dark Sign via Tumblr says. I really hope Dark Souls 3 concludes the Soul series by breaking the cycle and finally bringing forth a true age of dark by the hands of the player character. So, I I think, you know, that's... I think, um, I think breaking the cycle... I think there needs to be some sort of change to the meta story with Dark Souls 2 that gives some finality. I don't want it to be like, oh, here's a clear-cut ending, because that wouldn't be in the spirit of the games, but... Um, I think breaking the cycle makes sense, and um, as far as a uh, true Age of Dark goes, people like to speculate that people are always talking about, is this the game where it's taking place in an Age of Dark? And so I don't really, you know, I, I think the the highlights of these ages aren't real, like, it's something that's mentioned in the games, but Age of Fire and Age of Dark, I think they kind of happen outside the game. Wrapping up the series, is it a totally different decision that was hinted at at the end of Dark Souls 2? Could you do something else? So um, I think it's mm. too much to hope that you would get a conclusion to any of these games, like one specific thing. Um, <laughs> and and to be frank, I, I like my media to kind of wrap up in a little nebulous fashion. Like, I don't need something to be, and they lived happily ever after, or and, and then Harry Potter had kids with that other chick, and then they were all named after Snape. Like, I don't, I don't need the coda at the end of that. Um, spoilers, if you haven't read Harry Potter, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> um, but looking. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you about a sled named Rosebud. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I I don't I don't think we'll get that, um, and I, I kind of don't want that. Like at the at the end of Dark Souls three, like if we're just further down the path and we just kind of know more about the world, that that's that's what I'm there for. Is this kind of exploration of that that time period? I, I don't expect to have a, I guess a grand ending, a, a bow tied around it or anything. I don't think we'll get a, uh, as you say, a bow tie, but I think he'll be a smidge, maybe a smidge clearer like Bloodborne was, but still a little bit vague at the same time, giving us plenty of room for uh, speculation and debate. 
So a loose tied ribbon, not a bow. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bow is if like a, a two year old had tied it very badly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the next listener response is from uh, at Yurt Silent Chief on mm. Twitter, um, and hello Yurt, I know you. Uh, he says he or she says they want more background on Kareem. Yeah, I'm into that. I, I, I want to know more about the partner because I think, I, as I said on my first appearance of Dark Insight, Oscar is like one of my favorite NPCs out of Dark Souls One. So yes, not Os- not Oscar, did, yeah. um, Oswald. Yeah. Sorry, Oswald. Oh, that's when we was talking about voice actors. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if we will because Dark Souls Two completely got rid of all the surrounding areas that were discussed in Dark Souls One. They all changed names and the whole area was different. So I just don't know if we will learn more about specific geographical areas or cities or nations because time has passed and they've gone with the ashes. So yeah, it would be cool. Right. Well, the next one comes from Harley via the emails <clears throat> don't know whether that's a he or a she so I'll say they <laughs> there's still little knowledge about the exact origin of the first flame was it something akin to the big bang in our universe what caused it can it ever truly be extinguished also what happened to our good friends the serpents they seemingly had no part to play in the event of Dark Souls 2 but they seemed to be of huge cosmological importance in Dark Souls 1. What was their nature? What do they want? Did they die sometime in the past or will they return? Mm. So they don't they don't want to know much. Mm. <laughs> that, that's just that, that's just a little small detail in the in the in the lore. <laughs> Primordial serpents. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't mind seeing a reference to our old friends Frampt and um. Oh man, I'm terrible with names today, y'all. Kath. What is the Kath. Kath? Thank you. I would I wouldn't mind seeing some reference or some. I I wouldn't mind seeing the bigger dudes show up, but like I don't know that that's going to happen. So yeah, I, 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 I it would be good because they say being the primordial serpents, they should last through time and. They, they seemed quite important because obviously they were the two sort of kind of egging you on one way or another in Dark Souls 1. So, I don't know. They're, I quite like them as characters. It'd be interesting to see. Because it, it does seem like we're, we're ending up in an age of dark. This is what a lot of people have taken from what we've seen so far. So, I don't know. It'd be interesting, maybe. Because they seem to, obviously when you get the dark ending... There's plenty of them there, so we'll see. Well, that's the interesting thing with Dark Souls 2. When I saw those um, shrines that you get throughout the place with the headless serpents, I kind of got excited. And I don't know if they are representative of the primordial serpents, but that's what I thought mm. when I saw them. And so I think there was maybe loose tie-ins. Yeah, no, I'd, I I would definitely like to see the serpents back. Um, from a lore perspective, it would be interesting, but... They they look so goofy. <laughs> I want to see them try and model in high detail those fucking snakes because they look so weird. And I think the better graphics get, the weirder those characters. Just- <laughs> I think that's exactly what I like about Dark Souls when it comes to the tone. Is it's really dark, but it's also really off the wall and goofy sometimes. Mm. So I want them to come back just because I think I think they are a a, a loose end of these 
um, creatures that are mythological. Like they're they're out, they're not gods. They're not lords. They seem to be beyond all that. So if this is sort of bringing the the meta story together and sort of you know bringing all those events from all these ages together, I think the serpents need to be somewhere or else they'll just, at the end of the day in the series, they'll just look like a strange dead end. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. They were like the ones almost controlling and pulling the strings behind the progression of the, the character in Dark Souls 1. Yeah. Um, and for them not to be pulling the strings and coercing the people and, and characters and the kings in Dark Souls 2 just seemed to be a bit off. Um, but yeah, we'll, we will see. Well... As as to the origin of the first flame, I don't know whether we're going to see any answers on that. I think it's a bit too deep. I think that's just kind of there. That's it. That's what we're getting. I don't think we're ever going to get any answers to that. Yeah, just like most creation stories, if you think about them too hard, um, and I actually recently with the Duckfeed Slack, I was sort of talking about, you know, viewing the first flame in that Dark Souls 1 cinematic as like an origin story of the universe it's this thing that happened and that's what gets the story rolling so I kind of like it there I would be interested to see you know like I said a, a breaking the cycles I'd be interested to see what that says but as, as an explanation of the first flame I kind of just like just remains out of reach of understanding so um yeah that's sort of where I fall for the uh the next response coming up I don't know how quickly my document updates but I, on the fly, took out the last sentence. I did see that. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if that, there was a little bit of a spoiler, but it has been stricken. From- I didn't even notice. Where did it go? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually... I don't see the spoiler, so I haven't been spoiled. Uh, <laughs> I'm still clean. Oh, you would have been so mad. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you delete it. I saw that. Uh, I saw that Vader was the one who was going to be reading. <laughs> I was just like, uh, "What? A, that would be such a mean trick to play." In a... <laughs> it, if not Jeremy was controlling it, he would let me read it. <laughs> oh, wow, Jay, he's going in for you today. Jay. Getting hammered today. <laughs> Listen to this. Yeah, I teased Clifford earlier like about being forgetful, so <laughs> gonna spread it around. <laughs> Alright, Eric. Uh, maybe this is why I don't ruin spoils for everyone, because I just forget them. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you don't mind about them, because you forget them. Uh, <laughs> uh, Eric, uh, I don't need, for, this is via email, I don't need anything concluded per se, but I definitely want to feel a stronger connection to the first game than what could be considered the loose threads that connected the second game to the first. Yep, I would agree with that. Dark Souls 2 was a lot of fun. Mm. I enjoyed it, and it was a great game in itself. But I, yeah, I would have liked to have been more involved with the world of one. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I completely agree. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And um, my, my opinion on connections has changed. Um, where, and this is a topic I was going to bring up, but I think it works perfectly to talk about now is... I I think if when Dark Souls 2 was coming out, I would say I wanted indirect connections and indirect references to the first game. But I think with this third game sort of being the final chapter of Dark Souls, I think 
I want them to make direct references, reappearances, and do all that. Just go whole hog on both one and two. I know some people want to like take a dump on two, but giants are cool and they don't have faces, so I want more giants. <laughs> I want them to take something that you previously understood and change the context. They did that with the Artorius DLC with the forest. They did that in Bloodborne with the Hunter's Nightmare. So I think from are really good at contextualizing something you thought you understood. And I think how Dark Souls 1 was about this world where you would meet these heroes that Dark Souls 3 could finally be the chapter where they have enough stuff so that we're visiting this land filled with heroes that we actually know. And I think that would be awesome. And I think off by corrupting contextualizing them. So they need to do a Middle Gear Solid 5 with the Dark Souls universe. <laughs> Connect those dots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so we've, we've gone through talking about story and lore. So now we're moving on to other talking points, and we got a few community questions. So these are things that are sort of general to... You know, not specific design points about the game, but some other talking points. And uh, this this uh, second question that was put out to listeners was, how do you play through a Soulsborne game for the first time? And, you know, how do you intend to play through Dark Souls 3, whether it's going in blind, knowing information, do you plan out builds, just the various decisions you can make when it comes to the first time. Um, the first listener response was from at night twitten at, via Twitter, was, I like to preview the first area and then go through the rest blind. Hope Dark Souls 3 wraps up Seath's reincarnation <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to, uh, I try to go through my first playthrough blind, and that's what I intend on doing for Dark Souls 3, but um, yeah. I always go in, well, since <laughs> Bloodborne, I just, ugh, spoilers, I love it. <laughs> I can't help myself. I just love looking at all the, to, to be honest, no matter how much stuff I see, it never ruins it for me. I just love all the information. If anything, it makes me just want to get in that game now, even sooner. Yeah, I think most people are going to say blind, and um, I think there's something magical like going into a Dark Souls game blind. But um, I have not; I've long lost the willpower to be able to do that for myself. Like, <laughs> yeah, at a certain point, I'm going to cut myself off from like the videos. I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but at the point where IGN is releasing like the first hour of Dark Souls 3's gameplay, like I'm probably going to check out of that. Like that'll be the time where I stop looking at everything, but I'm watching every trailer. I'm looking at every leak. Like there's, there's some mind blowing stuff that's out there. So yeah, I'm all well, in. The, the, <clears throat> it's quite funny actually. Cause, uh, EMV, he, he, he disappeared on the internet and then he came back cause it was quiet. And then obviously today everyone went to that Dark Souls free preview, didn't they? And they said that, obviously all their videos are going up on march the 1st so if you want to avoid spoilers avoid the internet on march the 1st because there's gonna be loads of them and he, he, yeah he went on twitter today he was like right i'm gone see you later he's just gone off twitter again he's just disappeared from the internet again speaking of preview events um clifford were our invites lost in the mail did you not let us know because i mean <laughs> I think the, I think we are we are the biggest dark him. souls podcast <laughs> i think my baby 
got them and threw them in the dustbin. Ah, yeah, stupid babies. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Our uh, <laughs> our second response is from Ryan Merrick on Twitter at Ryan Merrick. And he says, I go in 100% blind and scour every area. I don't look anything up until I've seen the ending, which is a good way to go. Yeah, I try and do that myself. Um, Dark Souls 2, I kind of was a lot more like, like you, Jeremy. I was I was into it. I was looking at everything, and I ended up just finding I took a little bit of the magic away. Um, but still, uh, I do think From Software do a good job. Like They did it with Bloodborne at showing you a lot about the game, but a very isolated amount is at the same yeah. time and like they don't they don't they're good at not spoiling the full game whereas other games mm-hmm. you know everything going in <laughs> um so yeah i i yeah i try to go blind same thing scour everything yeah don't look at the yeah. guides until later so the my reasons for going in blind this time are actually like and like you said for bloodborne even though i thought i knew so much that game best twist for me and there's so they they don't give critical information away the reason i'm not looking at information for dark souls 3 is actually that i think it ruined little surprises it didn't spoil things but um i i reviewed and analyzed the videos the trailers like frame by frame and you'd be surprised how much they put in one like one second clips so it, i i saw a lot of bosses and those weren't huge surprises but I think just seeing the design of a boss takes away something for me. No, I agree. Right. No, you don't. You like spoilers. <clears throat> <laughs> well, I don't like them. I'm just weak-willed. This is the problem. <laughs> if I could go in blind, I would, but I just can't. I see oh, a new trailer, I'm like, oh, must watch. <laughs> I can't help it. I just can't. I'm just, yeah. If, if, I, if I was a drug addict, I'd be a terrible one. <laughs> or a very good one. <laughs> yeah, depending on which way you're looking at it. Um, see, well, I've done the same thing with movies. I've stopped watching trailers for movies I'm interested in, just because mm. uh, they're getting really bad at just putting everything in there now. But anyway, moving on. Yeah. Yes. Well, the next one comes from uh, I believe it's Twitter, and this is at Stars Tyrant. And they've just said blind and play it by ear depending on how it's going. Yes, that's come through as a response. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Um, the only thought I had that I wanted to add to the, what the consensus people like to go blind is that I do love talking about it <laughs> as I'm going through with it. Um, and so I will actually go, and people who I know in real life who are playing through it, I will just love chat. I love chatting with them um, and just... Yeah, and kind of bouncing on like, what have you found? And kind of just like not trying not to spoil it for each other, but trying to just enjoying that surprise and and like, wow, I saw this today. <laughs> um, yeah, I do like that. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure the three of us are going to be, or the four of us, excuse me, are going to be um, direct messaging each other back and forth. Like, did you did you <laughs> find the thing? Did you find the thing? That's going to be so stupid. And half the fun is trying to set in a way to just find out if they've actually seen it without spoiling it. <laughs> Uh, Did you find the thing on the thing on the corner with the thing? Next to the what? thing. I was like that with Paddy with Metal Gear 5. I was like, have you done the mission with the bit and the bit? And he's like, have you done that bit? Oh, yeah, I'm sure I've done that bit. <laughs> oh. oh, so you've seen that? No, I've not seen that. Oh, <laughs> I really liked the when Bloodborne was released, there was a, 
that was the first time I think I'd really been connected to the Dark Souls community on Twitter, and uh, everybody using those those acronyms for each boss. Like everyone was talking yeah. about BA or BSB or CB, and like like nobody knew what anybody was talking about. <laughs> it was so good, but it still went the same with the DLC when everyone was doing um, Ook. Everyone was like, "What the fuck? Yeah, is what the ook? hell is an Ook?" <laughs> <laughs> I was just cracking out. Is that Ook? Oh, great. Uh, we've got Harley has, has joined us again with another another response to the question. Um, I believe this is via email. I play blind on my first playthroughs on my first playthroughs every time. These games are in part pure discovery. I want to be surprised, amazed, and educated. I'd argue there's no experience in gaming quite as visceral as figuring out a difficult Soulsborne boss and getting that win. I don't want that spoiled for me. The same goes with builds. I want to tinker around and see what works. Subsequent playthroughs will then be devoted to optimal and role-playing type builds. Nice. I've actually gone back and checked my... um, Demon Souls, like my first character I finished the game with, man, it is terrible. It's so not viable. Like, <laughs> I had no idea how the yeah. stats were working. Like, and yeah, it was, it was bad. Like, I was like level like seventy five <laughs> or something when I finished it, and like, do I'm doing more damage with like level thirty characters. Like, it's just so bad. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. that's part of the fun: learning and making mistakes. Um, mistakes is what we learn from. So yeah, I, I like that response. So next we have Eric via email who says, I want to tell you that I take it slow, make careful decisions, and pay close attention to my surroundings. But to be honest, I often just throw myself at the wall (laughs) until I break through and try to come back with a bit more knowledge each time. I try to make careful decisions about my character, but every time I just end up making a jack-of-all-trades master of none and end up re-rolling later after I get a grip on the world. My first Bloodborne build was not very well thought out, but I got a lot better at the game when I focused on a single weapon and built around it. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. When it comes to the story and lore, I really focus and read item descriptions and uh, concentrate on that, but when it comes to my actual build and playing through, I I have an idea of what I want to do, but then playing through the game and not knowing what is available, I end up switching, going down different paths, and then uh, I sort of don't have anything in particular. So, uh, yeah, I, I can agree that that's kind of how mm. I play through it the first time as well. In his defense, though, uh, with Bloodborne, you've only really got a strength for quality or decks that's it really so <laughs> yeah but i got really hesitant at leveling up when i first started playing the souls games because my brother introduces introduced me to them he's like don't level up just take your time and so i like i i would beat bosses at really low levels and do it really hard because i was afraid of living up because he just kind of scared me off leveling up and so like because why did you find the weapon you want and then and so like, i was real hesitant to level up when i first started the um demon souls and so yeah but it didn't work. It didn't help in the end, did it? I made a crap character. <laughs> uh, our next response is Neo Loki. Uh, we all know Neo Loki. Yep. He talks with us on Twitter a lot, so I like that dude a he lot. Makes, um, he makes awesome videos. Definitely go check him out on on YouTube. I don't remember his exact channel name, but if you could look up Neo Loki Bloodborne videos, I'm sure uh, you can find it pretty easily. I think it's, yeah. Um, 
do, do, do. He says, "My first playthrough was done at a snail's pace. I honestly, do not understand how people do not understand people who fly through the game. I explore every nook and cranny, read and contemplate every detail, and after the first boss, I often check a wiki to see if I missed anything. It often takes me a couple of months to get through my first run. Damn, dude." I have been, sorry, the damn dude was me, my bad. I'm editorializing <laughs> in the middle. Um, I have been watching the D- the Dark Souls 3 trailers, and although they do give a certain amount away, it is all out of context, so I feel the game will still be fresh when I play it. That is my general attitude concerning spoilers. I don't seek out details, but I give myself a little room to watch a few things, because by the time I play the game, even the subject matter I have seen will still be fresh, given the context of my involvement with said things. Plus, these games tend to be so vast that all those little details I know about get lost in the game as a whole. Yeah, that's a that, that's a good policy yeah. for, for spoilers. Yeah. I've never minded, um, you know, watching officially released trailers up until re- the last couple of years, where like the last trailers that they start releasing are like four and a half minutes long, and this kind of speaks to Charles' points on a like watching a movie trailer nowadays. Like, oh yeah, that yeah. was a good movie. I don't need to go see go to the theater to see it. And game trailers are getting to be a lot that getting to be a lot like that. Um, in one of the Bloodborne trailers, you could clearly see, like, a Breedus, which is kind of a, a mindfuck of a boss if you don't know, like, the core twist in Bloodborne. But I had totally forgotten that by the time the game came out. So I'm kind of with Neo Loki on that one. So I didn't see that. I don't even ever remember seeing her in the trailers. <laughs> there you go. I you see, my problem is when I see any kind of detail is it comes a little checkbox in my head. And so when I'm playing it, I'm just thinking about what I have and haven't seen. And so it can actually just take me out of the experience because I'm thinking, oh, haven't seen the, I haven't seen this yet. When am I going to come across it? And then when I see it, I'm like, tick. <laughs> and uh, it yeah, can break the, the sequence a little bit for me. All right. So going for our, our sort of a big question, what everyone's hanging their hat on is... Uh, what is your single biggest hope for Dark Souls 3? And it starts off with Mystic Referee via the uh, Duckfeed Slack channel. So he says, or he, he or she says, uh, with FromSoft announcing the end of Souls, whatever that means, my only wish is that this game is a love letter to their golden age. Who knows where they will go next? It's possible that the mechanics are one thing that will always be a trademark, but I know Miyazaki and his team have a real treat in store for us with the ending of this particular trilogy, or quartet to be precise. Everything I've seen and heard of this game so far, and don't worry about spoilers in my experience, have indicated that there are a very humble but talented group of people at work here. We can definitely expect awesome tweaks to the combat, build variety, and enemy and level design since this team has never disappointed in the creative department. From Software are masters of the callback, and the way they manage time memories of their earlier games into freshly reimagined worlds. Such a thing can be friendly and rewarding in a harsh game universe that is so alive we can feel it in the bones. It is a true testament to the promise of this genre. After more than five games of honing this style of RPG, I'm confident that they have the swagger to pull off an exciting, memorable, and terrifying experience. My only wish, then, is that each step through this game makes me remember my first steps through Lord Ram, where I started out so hollow, but also where From Software restored my faith in humanity. Nice. <laughs> and when he sent that to me, he said he apologized for the humanity pun at the end, uh, but I think he totally meant to do it. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> well said, well said, Mr. Greffery. What about twin humanities? 
Um, I don't think we have. I mean, I don't have much to say on top of that. I think that was pretty. Yeah, well that said. was pretty on uh, point. Yeah, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to jump into the next one with uh, at and if and if I'm butchering this, I'm sorry. So, so I'm, I'm going to try at Krasnoya underscore Ronin via Twitter. Um, they say I feel like it's unlikely, but some kind of randomly generated PVE content with the ability to be invaded throughout. I know a lot of people didn't like Chalice Dungeons, but there are mechanics there that I think are worth exploring. Also, hoping the DS2 invasion system can invade while boss is dead returns. Basically, the more potential for multiplayer connections of all types, the better. And A plus plus would read again. I totally agree. Speaking of twin humanities, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of twin humanities, yeah. Uh, this comes in from Paddy Stardust, our good friend over at the Twin Humanities podcast. Uh, he hits up via Twitter and he said, I want invasions to be normal. Dark Souls 1 style, where you would get every couple, get one every couple arenas. Dark Souls 2 was a ghost town for invaders. And yeah, I've got to agree with him on that. It most certainly was. Yeah. We discussed that earlier. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got Brad Galloway via Twitter. I want the ability to co-op just like any normal game. No weird rules or annoying banana socks. BS. <laughs> <laughs> banana socks. <laughs> BS. I like it. <laughs> um, you know, the, the network test had the same password matching that Bloodborne did, which is Ooh. as long as they adopt the, the ignore level limit thing when you're mm. using password matching, I think it's perfect like that's the best way that co-op has ever worked in a souls game and i don't need a party system i would like that but i don't need one that's prime so yeah i don't want like a menu co-op system because i like that the mechanics of dark souls are part of the lore of dark souls um but yes the i think the password thing works i think it's good good if you can tie in quickly with your friends that'd be great (laughs) and our next response is from Stars Tyrant via Twitter. Um, and he wants an expansive, wi- expansive winding entirely optional areas that contain iconic bosses and settings. Think Painted World. I agree. I, um, I think mm. Bloodborne has a lot of optional areas, and I, I like that bunch of side paths with interesting stuff going on. Same here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, I think by, by, I think we're going to get more of that more of the uh, more of that <laughs> the next one is from Chris Moser via Twitter Chris is from the the, the adorable and loving do- guys over at Chomp Chain Podcast yes go he listen. says uh, I want to have a holy shit moment of discovering a familiar area or enemy and perhaps a ruined restored but recognizable form that's exactly mm. what Sean said earlier I believe yeah uh, yeah that's mm. awesome yeah yeah totally agree there's, there's, I don't think there's anything to say against that really we, we all agree on that we like like the idea of that. Uh, right. <clears throat> so the next one again is Harley. I presume is via email again. Uh, he or she has put. My biggest hope is that they can shake up, shake up the shape of the narrative a bit. Each game thus far has featured a pathetic, cursed, or sickened human who comes to a place in search of a cure and instead gets forced into service of eldritch forces <clears throat> my god my eyes are bleeding can someone else K- 
carry on reading. <laughs> Seriously, I'm that tired, my eyes are blurring. I cannot actually um, read the script in front of me. <laughs> I, I, I can jump I do apologise, um, my eyes are going all blurry. <laughs> gets Damn. forced into the service of uh, Eldritch forces who may have caused their curse sickness in the first place. The cycle never ends. While I don't expect the Soul series to end with everybody holding hands and skipping off into the sunset, I do think the series has an underlying positivity about humanity's ability to affect change. Just as we play the game and persevere, our player character does the same, all while enduring thousands of painful deaths and testing the limits of creation itself. I think the ending of Dark Souls 2, Scholar of the First Sin, hinted at the answer. Humans need to balance the elementary forces of the universe, light or dark, the walking dreaming worlds, or reality in the cosmos, in such a way that they can live meaningful lives outside the influence of eldritch forces. <clears throat> That's the most times I've ever sailed eldritch forces eldritch, all at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully I didn't mess that up. Um, yeah, I do apologise for that. My eyes went proper blurry, and I couldn't actually see what I was reading. I do apologise, Harley. Cut back on the whiskey. <laughs> I haven't had enough of that. That's just, That's just yeah. <laughs> I should be wearing my glasses, to be fair, but they're in the bedroom, and I don't want to wake the wife up. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, don't don't wake the wife up. We don't we don't hear, we want you to get an earful because of us. So we've got Eric once again. Um, I want range combat to feel better. I recently went back and started playing Kingsfield for, for PlayStation, the second one that got rebranded as just Kingsfield outside of Japan. Uh, so it's Kingsfield 2 in Japan, I believe, is what he's saying. And spells and range combat are devastating in that game, to the point where arrows become a very valuable item. Contrast this with the bows and dirt, the, and dirt cheap arrows in Dark Souls, which basically just tap enemies on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm over here, rather than being an effective <laughs> combat strategy. Unless you pump points into decks, of course. Bloodborne really tightened your effective tightened your effective range down to a small radius as far as your lock-on can work. And it pretty much limited most, if not every build, to merely combat at least until the DLC provided some better options. I don't want range combat to be overpowered, but I, I do want it to feel more useful to builds that aren't solely dedicated to it. Even builds that are solely dedicated to it aren't that useful in some of the earlier Souls games, just because mm. yeah. the way the lock-on worked or the targeting worked was just too slow and, and clumsy. Um, but what I Agreed. remember seeing in some of the early stuff of Dark Souls 3 is that the combat's going to be... The, the the bows are going to be tweaked and you can actually quick fire. Am I right? Or am I imagining stuff? You're, you're right. Mm. It looked like um, from a really early trailer that one of the soul arts is like a rapid fire thing for a bow, which yeah, looked right, really, yeah. really cool. Yeah. So you can like all apart. Yeah, it looks really cool. It looked like you could jump around and roll around a bit more and shoot a bit quicker. Yeah. It's, it seemed more viable, which I like the idea of. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so very cool good response Eric rounding it out is Neil Loki a good friend of the show and uh, he says that my single biggest hope for Dark Souls 3 is about the little things in Dark Souls 1 they introduced all kinds of details that added to the overall experience from sound design to critters that only appeared through some obscure mechanic also, Dark Souls 1 had without a doubt the best NPC of any game they have done since. Heartfelt stories, absurd characters, giant talking <laughs> lizards, etc. 
They have all added to the richness of a world you wanted to know intimately and never leave. Yeah. Well, yeah, because well, the, the whole point about never leaving, I, I basically haven't wanted to leave this world for the past, well, well over a year now, where I've been so deep going, as you say, same as you, like, bloodborne backwards, I've just been so in this world, and uh, I'm just gutted that it possibly might be coming to an end. It's it, it it's, it's a bit of a sad time, but a good time, like, that we're getting Dark Souls 3, but super, super sad that we may not see another Dark Souls game again. It's, it, it's a tad sad. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think we're all just, I think we're all just wanting Dark Souls 3 to be really, really fun. And, um... <laughs> If I could have one hope, um, and I put something in here, but I'm going to take that away. If, if if I could have one hope in this game, I think it'd be just that they have created a, a system of online play and offline play that just makes it last forever. In other words, I, I want I want to be playing this game two years from now, just like I did with Dark Souls One. Like I want to be ignoring every game that comes out because I'm just I can't stop myself from playing Dark Souls Three. So you so. want your cake and eat it too. I do, absolutely. You, you nailed that. <laughs> but so everyone that's listening knows, the real hope that Jeremy wants is he wants Karmic Justice to be in the game. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody has seen my YouTube channel, they, they probably already know that. <laughs> it's highlighted a different color on our page. <laughs> <laughs> Should have made it purple. Uh, yeah. Jeremy has said his biggest hope. What's your uh, biggest hope, Clifford? <sighs> I just hope that it's what we all expect it to be being is it's possibly the last souls game i just want them to go out on a huge massive bang and we get the game that everyone wants i'm sure they will give it to us i just yeah fingers crossed yeah and you charles I just want to have fun. (laughs) i just want to i just want to get in there and just have fun like just enjoy it like I don't have too. I try. I try not to have too many expectations um, because it can lead to disappointment, I guess. But I just, yeah, I guess I do have high hopes for it. But I just want to have fun with it. That's the main thing. Kill some dudes. Yeah, um, I think for for me, my biggest hope for Dark Souls Three is uh, similar to what Jeremy said, and uh, sort of thinking of uh, an article that Illusory Wall posted about weird online stuff is that. I I want I don't want Dark Souls three to be a by the numbers Souls yeah. game. I want it to be uh, interesting and take take risks and uh, have that be the legacy for the series. Is that it has this really tight story and combat foundation, but then it it takes it in interesting places and it's not afraid to be weird or obscure in some way. So that's that's really what I want most for Dark Souls three is just for them to not play it safe in any way and to really just go for it and just go really big because I, I think that's mm-hmm. what a lot of people love about the series so uh, so yeah that's my biggest hope really so um, yeah I think that about wraps things up today um, so um, you can find these guys at the Dark Insight podcast but uh, otherwise starting with Jeremy um, where else can we uh, find you on the internet um, my Twitter is at JG Greer, and then you can find me on YouTube at not ECEC. And um, you mentioned Dark Insight. We have a brand new website that we just launched last week, maybe the week before. Um, 
my time is a flat circle. I have no idea when when, when things happen. Uh, <laughs> but hit, you can hit you can hit that up at darkinsight.net. And uh, one thing specifically I want to mention is that um, we kind of have a blog there, and informally we want to talk to people about writing articles and doing stuff on that blog that's not just the three of us. We're going to be putting stuff up, but we want stuff from the community too. So if you've got an idea that's been kicking around and you don't feel like starting your own Tumblr or starting your own WordPress, and you know, get in touch with me. It's jeremy at darkinsight.net, and we'll work something out. All right. And uh, so, Clifford, where, where else can they find you? Well, obviously, same as Jeremy. Uh, you can get most of our stuff at uh, darkinsight.net, but you can also, my personal Twitter is at Defnote, which is D-E-4-T-H underscore N-O-T-E. And my YouTube's exactly the same as well. So, uh, yeah, I'll be doing walk, uh, gameplay walkthroughs caught more than often and you'll see Dark Souls 3 being my main staple for that for uh, for a little while so uh, yeah go check that out uh, other than that yeah you can get me at cliff ducks darkinsight.net email yeah and uh, Charles uh, yeah I'm Vader Van Oden on almost everything that's on Twitter um, I do a YouTube channel uh, where I play co-op games with my son my six year old son as well as do some Shadow of the Colossus stuff that Jeremy likes to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's so much. <laughs> um, and yeah, just a bit of that. Um, same thing. I've got my our Dark Insight email is Dark Insight. Uh, my Beta Van Oden at darkinsight.net. And because Charles is a boring name. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's about, that's about it. Same kind of places. And I can be found at the Lore Hunter on Twitter. And if you're interested in uh, community content regarding Bloodborne story and lore, you can find that at thelorehunter.blogspot.com, where I collect the great community content I find. And I will be doing the same thing for Dark Souls 3 at darksouls3lore.blogspot.com. So uh, please uh, check that out and stay tuned. I'm hoping to do tons of stuff for Dark Souls 3 in the next few weeks and after release. So, uh, yeah. So uh, thank you guys once again for coming on. It's been a real pleasure talking with you guys and getting hyped for the game. Yes, very exciting Thanks stuff. for having us, Sean. We appreciate yeah. it. Yes, yeah, great. Yeah, super thanks. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope any uh, small audio issues were not too harsh on the ears for you. So um, this is a uh, special and uh, I would love to get some feedback on it. So if you have any thoughts or opinions about this special, if you'd like to see more, if you'd like me to never do something like this again, let me know. You can contact me at thelorehunter at gmail.com or you can visit darksouls3lore.blogspot.com and find a way to contact me through the form there. Thank you so much for listening. And I... uh, Look forward to seeing you in Dark Souls 3.